it's so great because <laughs> I love the kind of the parallels that go along with Ilyana and Lila because yes. they are both teleporters who have to have that intermission you know they have to go through limbo mm -hmm. they have to go to a dyson sphere or a second location never go to a second location with lila cheney never <laughs> go to a second location with lila cheney x-men x-men in the 21st century people mutants led by magneto aim to destroy the world the only hope is Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast, where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is game developer and friend of the pod, Margot Mutter, aka Pearl. You may know her as Pearl Snapped on Twitter and elsewhere. Margot, how are you today? I'm wonderful, Connor. Thank you so much. And may I say you're looking so refreshed. Did you just get out of Arbor Magna? <laughs> well, thank you. I actually have a terrible sunburn, but not on my face. So I look great <laughs> facially, I guess. But uh, I missed. To call it a spot would maybe not be accurate. It's like my whole left side of my torso. You, like I got you my back. Yeah, like I got my back. I got my right side. I got my legs. I got my face. But um, I, I clearly missed my left flank i guess one might call it and i did a beach day yesterday and i am extremely regretting not being a little bit more uh prepared on that end discerning with my yeah. with my sunscreen yeah but otherwise doing good uh happy to be back recording after a bit of a stretch of time where I wasn't because of the con. Thank you to everybody who came to Flame Con. It was such a treat to see so many of you in person. It was absolutely crazy. Honestly, uh, I'm still processing, but it was really special and I hope it was special for you too if you attended. If you were not able to make it to FilameCon, the audio should be posted on the Patreon relatively soon. I have to coordinate with Jay because Jay's friend is doing the audio stuff because uh, I had never done a live show before and I did not know what I was doing. Um, but, ooh, that is exciting. We're it was to exciting. Hear yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't remember really anything that we said because the adrenaline just kicked in and at the end of the show, everyone was like, that was great. And I'm like, I'm glad you think so because I do not remember the last hour of my life. Uh, but it seems like it went well and I was happy with that. I have some corrections real quick about the pyro episode before we get into this week. My dad pointed out that amid all our James Joyce and Ulysses digression, we failed to realize that Sinjin Gogarty was James Joyce's flatmate who he portrayed very unflatteringly in Ulysses. So that is why Sinjin Allardyce does not like Ulysses. <laughs> uh, I can't believe that we failed to talk about Ulysses enough and that is how we failed to uh, figure out where the name Sinjin had come from. Sinjin Gogarty was a bit of a dandy also so it makes sense that that's maybe where the name came from and then 
there's just the question of Simon Lasker. Uh, I kind of brushed right over him. It turns out he does have a full Zaladane. Good for him. He came back after X-Men Gold in the Iceman solo ones. He's been around a couple of times. I just quite honestly couldn't be bothered to keep track of him. And I doubt we will see him again anytime soon. The Empyrean, meanwhile, does return after that X-Men annual. We were like, where did he go? Why did Pyro leave his facility? And the answer is that the Empyrean is the villain of X-Men Time Gliders, the miniseries that was a tie-in with Hardee's, the fast food restaurant. That is, that is not- where it's from? Because I was looking yes. at Fantasia appearances recently. For mm-hmm. no Fantasia is also in X-Men Time Gliders. And Empyrean is super evil in X-Men Time Gliders, which is why Pyro did not remain in his care and wound up on the streets again. That mini has not been robustly collected, presumably because of its association with Hardee's. But I will get a hold of it and take a look at some point. What else? Oh, I said at one point we were talking about like gay public figures of the 80s and 90s. And I said, not that Basquiat was gay. Basquiat was bisexual. But to be clear, he wasn't like public about that. And we were talking about figures who were like openly known to be gay artists. But I did not mean to de-queer Basquiat. My apologies to the Basquiat estate. (laughs) So uh, that's it. I'm done now. Margo, how are you today? How are you finding this end of summer, beginning of autumn sort of time? I'm doing good. I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. You know, I've been pushing through all of Lila's catalog of 60 appearances this last week again. And, uh, you know, I've just sort of been wintering through the summer, which has been really nice. Like I'm prepping to be cozy (laughs) all over again. But yeah, things have been going pretty well. I'm really excited and um it's a blessing. I mean, look at this. We're here on the new rebooted setup for Cerebro. Yes, because my computer did just fully implode last weekend, uh, which is why you may have noticed there was no episode for a while, listeners, between Pyro and Feral. Thanks for your patience on that. We're here today to talk about Lila Cheney, intergalactic rock star, master thief. She is the... Kim Deal of the Cosmos. She's the Joan Jet <laughs> of the Marvel Universe. Like, if you want to get to know Lila Cheney, she's a powerful, naughty rock and roll mommy from outer space in England. Yeah, she's the punk rock cougar who made Sam Guthrie a man. And oh my God. Yeah. I love that for him. I love that for her. I love it for Boom Boom when <laughs> Boom Boom starts hooking up with Cannibal because I'm sure Lila taught him a thing or two. Oh, absolutely. He's he's got his um his bedpost has some notches in it for mm-hmm. sessions. Also, one of the most notorious thieves in all of creation. She can once travel. tried to steal this planet. Yeah, literally tried to steal this planet. And when she couldn't get away with it, she took the next best thing. Sam Guthrie's virginity. There you go. Margot, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and your origin story with the X-Men and what drew you to this franchise? And when it makes sense, we'll get into why you wanted to talk about Lila Cheney. Well, sure. So uh, one little fact about me is that I am insufferably evasive when it comes to talking about myself. A little bit of (laughs) form and content there. I've been reading for probably about 25 years. Uh, My first comic was an X-Men comic, and you're going to hate this. 
So I got asked to come over and read comics one day, never read a comic book in my life. And my brother was older, all their friends had friends. And so I thought, I'm going to go do this. And I go over to this kid's house and I go into the downstairs den and he's like laid out on the carpet and he has got all these pieces of paper in front of him, all these ripped little pieces of newspaper and his dad's storming off upstairs and they're ripped up pages from a dog. Uh, or a dog had ripped up pages of this old Lee Kirby X-Men comic. Oh, I don't even no. want to fill in in my mind what it would have been, mm-hmm. but we just sat there and we didn't know how it went together. So we started assembling it and I was just mesmerized by the medium as a whole. Uh, and I tried to get into comics at that point, but it was just really hard when you're growing up in the like early 90s, early 2000s. Uh, there weren't as many easily accessible gateways into comic books, especially the X-Men franchise. Right. Uh, no, I mean, there's nothing digital. There aren't that many trades outside of things like the Dark Phoenix saga and God Loves Man Kills. But those are basically the only two that they were putting out until I want to say 99, 2000-ish. And then I, if you want to get into X-Men, I mean, listen, Chris did his best, but it's hard to just jump in with any given issue. Like there's a reason that Sam always explains that he's nigh and vulnerable when he's blasted. And that's because the, the shooter philosophy that Claremont really took to like a duck to water was that every single issue could be someone's first issue. So you need to explain who the people are and what their powers do. Um, Even so, X-Men continuity is remarkably sprawling. Uh, That's part of why this show exists. (laughs) And I can only imagine that if you didn't have the access that I did, because my dad loved the X-Men, knowing where to start was pretty much impossible. Yeah, it was problematic. And but I tried over and over again. I got those holiday bundles where you'll get the assembly of issues and there'll Mm. be like an old Claremont in there with some Hulk and maybe a Mm -hmm. Prime Comics. Uh, the old Fleer cards and the Marvel masterpieces. I even went as far as buying all four series of the original Heroes Reborn. Wow. Yeah, I got conned there pretty hard. Um, yeah. Rob Liefeld probably bought, I don't know, a sandwich with the royalties <laughs> he got from you buying all those copies of Heroes Reborn. And you know what? Good for him. Good for him. But it finally hits. This is where sort of I feel like, you know, I'm 37. I think you're, you're, you're what, like 30? I'm 34. Yeah. So we kind of hit on a, a convergent path at this point because I was 15 or 16 and my LCS guy, the day that New X-Men 114 came out, was like, I don't know if I should be giving you this, but I think you'd like this. Mm-hmm. And then it was just off to the races forever. And my wallet was demolished from now until eternity. For time immemorial. Since time immemorial, right. Yeah, I mean, New X-Men, Morrison's New X-Men was definitely the first one I was buying, like, with my own money, let me go to the store and get it. Before that, it was like, my dad took me to the comic shop and he'll, like, let me buy stuff, which was fun. But especially with X-Men, isn't always the best way to keep up with stuff. I had subscriptions to a few of the series in the late 90s. Uh, For the kids, you would sign up with a card that was like a checklist and you would you would check off the comics that you wanted to add to your pull list and then they would mail the comics to you and the comics would arrive in a mailbox, which is a box that would sit at the bottom of the driveway at your parents house. Uh, so what's even better about that is that that card that you had to rip out 
that was an innovation. Like before, right. it was just before a page that, in the book. It was just a page in the book that you would have to really carefully cut out with a scissor or like, you know, tear out without ripping the comic apart, Holy which wild. was hard to do as a kid. Yeah, it took them a while to figure out this system. And uh, thankfully, we no longer really need to do that. You can go to your LCS, which stands for local comic shop for people who don't have one and pre-order the comics that you want. In fact, I recommend that you do so if there's any series that you're really passionate about because pre-order numbers at your local comic shop are the number one thing that Marvel or DC or really any comic book publisher are going to look at when deciding which series continue beyond four or five issues. Yeah, and this is just good information for you to consider and have out there in the world if anyone's mm -hmm. listening. If anyone's listening who doesn't know that, that's what you should do. So you were off to the races formally in around, around 2001. Yeah. When did you first encounter Ms. Lila Cheney? So it actually took a while. It wasn't until, I guess, I had kind of stepped out of comics after I had moved back to the United States. I used to live overseas in Korea. Came were you back. like a military family or? No, I was a, I was a teacher for a little while. Gotcha. Um, cool. Yeah. And so I moved back and I'd kind of fallen out of it. And then I picked up on Jay and Miles and I started going mm. through their catalog. And when we got to, uh, I can't remember the episode number, but we got to steal this podcast, which covered Newton's <laughs> annual number one. And I fell in love like right there at their descriptions. But then when I went to it, it's one of the most fun classic annuals that exists in that catalog. Uh, and I just sort of, every time I would see Lila from then on, it took a while. I'd only read about, I think, maybe three-fourths of her appearances until we had you know, kind of settled to sit down and do this. Mm -hmm. And I've gone through them so many times now. And I tell you, even the ones I don't like, there's something about it that she just, she feels lived in. And she's this big, larger-than-life character. She's one of those Claremont dames that feels really fully formed the moment she first appears. Every now and then he'll introduce a character, invariably a female character. I'm thinking of like Lee Forrester is another mm -hmm. one where like mm -hmm. the character just arrives. Stevie Hunter, you're just like, I immediately know who this woman is and she feels like a real person, even though she's a one off or, you know, about to be a minor recurring character he builds up a bunch of stars in that firmament. And Lila Cheney is definitely one of them. She's a character with a slightly haphazard publication history because Chris clearly is obsessed with her. Absolutely. Like he brings her back in extreme just because yeah, he wants whenever her he can, he brings her back. She's in X-Men the end. Like he loves mm -hmm. Lila Cheney. Who doesn't? Well, most other <laughs> writers, it seems, because she doesn't appear very frequently otherwise simonson writes her out pretty quickly after taking over new mutants and yeah that feels like a really uh like right from the gecko on that issue 55 it feels like such a tonal shift that it's like the beginning of the end for her character mm -hmm. well i think it's in part it's been discussed on the show before and i don't know how 1000 percent true this is but my understanding is that Wheezy was asked to make the book feel younger when mm -hmm. she took over it because Claremont over the course of the first 54 issues had made the characters feel much more mature, especially through the Sienkiewicz period. They had started to feel more like college students than like, you know, 15 year olds, 16 year olds. So 
part of that, I imagine, was, okay, Sam's girlfriend, who's like 25, probably shouldn't be in this comic book. Right. And it it makes sense. (laughs) Like, I would love to have had Lila go on to have a much more robust run in New Mutants. But once it gets to that period where they switch over from 54 to 55, it's like now we're going to tell the story of like how that is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's only a few appearances. She only appears, I think, what, eight, eight, nine times and like from New Mutants Annual 1 to 70. Yeah, she's she she dips in and out briefly. It's like she has a couple of weird one-offs. Like she's in uh, Secret Wars two very briefly oh, and like yeah. a cameo. And then she has that issue of Spellbound, which what, is, is another so Weezy comic. <laughs> yeah, I actually love Spellbound, and that's a good sign that Weezy did like the character, which yes, is why exactly. I think that getting rid of her probably was editorial rather than something that Weezy wanted to do. Right, and because it, you know she it, had just used her in Spellbound. Yeah, she had just used her in Spellbound, and it's right after Anacenti leaves the editing role. So, like, mm-hmm. there's, like, one issue between Anacenti's last issue and then Bob Harris comes in, and then they move into the Gossamer arc, the mm-hmm. Gossamer of it all. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I So, I really love this character in this period in particular because she has so much more pathos than she does when she reappears. Mm-hmm. Like from the beginning of the 90s all the way and until the Kirk Cohen era, uh, she doesn't really star in any of the stories. She's there and she's a guest star or she is a background player, but they're not really about her. She's functional. Honestly, you know, she's chattier than him, but she's kind of like gateway. Like she'll mm-hmm. come into a story because the X-Men need someone to teleport them somewhere. And it's helpful to have a teleporter who can teleport very long distances until Yana's dead. Like that's sort of the gist. Oh, uh, God. Um, But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit because with this character who, as you know, only has 60 appearances, which is a nice round five Zaladanes, we should probably go chronologically and then get into questions. We got a ton of questions about Lila Cheney, which pleased me because I do so happy. I do think of her as a pretty obscure character, Mm -hmm. but I think that in part because writers like to sneak references to her into things. Like even if she doesn't appear, characters will have a Lila Cheney poster or wear Lila Cheney merch. She's sort of become a thing that Marvel fans recognize as like a Marvel thing, which I think has maybe made the name bigger than the character, maybe on some right. level. A lot of people and so don't people really are know curious about her. Right. Right. And she is that big a name. Like if we're going to start somewhere, you know, like that's it. Like she is, you can go and buy a Lila Cheney t-shirt in the Marvel Target store. You know, right. Like, a graphic it's, there is official Lila Cheney merch that you can buy from Marvel, which for a character who again has only appeared 60 times is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but she is a character who makes a real impact the minute she debuts and is presented immediately as a huge celebrity. So if you're doing in-universe merch and it's not Dazzler merch, it's, it's probably going to be Lila Cheney merch. Right. It's just I mean, logical. She's, yeah, she's the biggest rock star there is at that time. And you know, contextually speaking, this is 1985, big arena rock. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's still Joan Jett. She's very too. clearly based on Joan Jett, except that she's British because Chris Claremont 
is obsessed with England. So I, I tend to think of her as kind of a Joan Jett, Susie Sue mm-hmm. hybrid. But visually, she's just Joan Jett, fresh off the runaways, gone solo, I love rock and roll, Crimson and Clover, and all of that. Right. And like the first thing we ever see of her is just so iconic. It's that Sienkiewicz cover of New Year's <sighs> Annual Number One. It's giving this Steal This Planet. This- yes, it looks like a Frazetta Conan cover. Steal yeah. This Planet. It is one of the most iconic X-Men covers. It is gorgeous. And most importantly, it is the pure Claremont vibe, which is that Lila Cheney is in the heroic pose that Conan or like Luke Skywalker or whoever would be in on one of those posters. And clinging to her the way that the female character typically would be is Sam Guthrie, which is very, very funny. It's so funny because it's just this powerful image of Lila Cheney looking like a a gnarly rock goddess, right? She's in her tank and ripped jeans with her guitar. And Sam is looking like some sort of twisted Norman Rockwell as a leather boy uh, just (laughs) at at her feet as the earth itself explodes in the background. Um, it's just so powerful. Uh, and then we get into the story. And so this is set right after Slumber Party, right? So, yes. you know, they have like literally right after Slumber Party. So Warlock is just here. Warlock and Cypher have just joined the team. Danny's uh, recovering. Danny is recovering from her injury with the demon bear. And everyone's pretty much on a downbeat. And then so like Danny and Stevie Hunter are having this really kind of like uh, emotional, like tender healing moment where, you know, Danny is feeling uh, very impatient about the way she's healing and needs to learn to rely on others. And then they're interrupted because down the hall, probably down the street, probably down the block <laughs> from wherever he got them, Beto is coming yelling and running and he's talking about having these tickets. And Stevie's just like, what is that? Until he busts through the door, like it's a set of a sitcom telling us all that he has Lila Cheney tickets for tonight. And we cut to this amazing scene. It's like Madison Square Gardens being filled with mm-hmm. all manner of dorks and kids and punks and metalheads. It's and clear it's that just... she has a mass appeal that is akin mm-hmm. to the mass appeal that Joan Jett had. Rock people like Joan Jett, but also pop people like Joan Jett, kids like Joan Jett. There's a reason that Britney Spears, and I mean, I Love Rock and Roll is not originally a Joan Jett song, but it's no. her version that is. I would say most famous. And there's a reason Britney Spears covered it because Joan Jett was a crossover artist who had that kind of appeal going from the Runaways and Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, which were more rock oriented to kind of a softer pop rock vibe at times that Mm -hmm. was very successful on the Billboard charts and and in the mainstream outside of people who are like, let's go thrash in the, you know, mosh pit or whatever. Right. We're not seeing it in a dive bar. We're seeing it in an arena. Uh, In that way, once we get into the 90s, I feel like she's akin to like a Melissa Etheridge type. Yeah, they definitely bring it more to a softer tone with that, too. Um, but like right here, she is in her icon. Totally place. punk. Yeah. yeah. She's in like the black vest, black is... lipstick, black boots, cut off yes. white teeth. And I love this because it's literally days after Warlock has come to earth and they've integrated. And they're like, you know what? This kid needs rock and roll. Yeah. Let's uh, teach Warlock about rock music. Yeah. So they go in and what sets them into like interacting with Lila is that they are watching the sound check 
And somehow these giant speakers that are just chained together, there's no reason for them to be chained like this, but there are these big link chains that are holding all the amps and speakers uh, and they begin to break. And so Beto and Warlock go to secure the speakers and Sam dives out and blasts to catch Lila in the middle of the sound check. Mm -hmm. And for his trouble, she plants the biggest one on him, just right on the kisser. Yeah, like her manager is upset that these teenagers have snuck in to watch the sound check. And she's like, where's your manners, Roddy? That's no way to talk to the man who saved my life. And then she grabs Sam, plants one on him. Pardon my manager, Sam, love. They're bred to be nasty. I owe you. And Lila always pays her debts. Which is, in fact, not true. Lila no, is not Lila never pays her, her debts. That this is, is another the funniest reason I love bit. her. Yeah, she's fully she lying. Yeah, Lila is perhaps the universe's most delinquent debtor, actually. Absolutely. She is a dirtbag, <laughs> and I love her for that. Uh, so she basically, like, she she just kisses Sam. She storms off. She's like, you know, come see us at the after Yeah, party. she's like, come backstage after the show. I'd love to thank you all for, you know, rescuing me or whatever. We should note, by the way, because there's always age discourse about right. this relationship. Uh, I would say that my read on this, it's what, 1985 when this drops. Mm -hmm. Joan Jett is 25-ish, I want to say. That's where I've um, always put her. And, and you have to remember that Sam is being drawn by Bob McLeod here. So he's a he's a solid Bob McLeod 18 is what I think. Sam is definitely supposed to be 18 here because he talks about in issues around this time, how guys his age are going to college. Mm -hmm. So to be clear, while she's definitely older than him and that is part of the dynamic and is eventually why she'll, in the 90s, why she'll be like, oh, it could never work. It's not untoward. Like he's not right. 16. It's he's He's an adult. Right. We just need to, like the thing about it is that it's not supposed to be a moralist, like a moral reading of a relationship, right? Like it's not supposed to be ideal. It's one of those right. like uh, Kitty and Peter where you're supposed to be like, well, okay, but this better not go on too long. Right. But also in this case, unlike with Kitty and Peter, like right. he's not yeah, underage. Yeah. And it, yes, that is, in, that is a very you know, key like, difference. Like he, it's supposed to be a bad relationship, but it's not a lascivious relationship exactly it's not an inappropriate relationship whereas right, yeah. Piotr realizes when kitty wants to get sexual with him he's like this actually has become inappropriate and i right. need to break up with you lila and sam do get frisky because he's a grown oh my god that okay so let's let's get to it so they let's go get into it yeah so they go <laughs> so they so the show begins and of course there is someone who is there Here's the thing about Lila Cheney's story. Something always goes wrong with the show. That's the gimmick, right? You know, right. The concert is always her, interrupted yeah. by an assassin or a bounty or a hunter or a yeah. Yeah, space pirate, somebody, a, an interdimensional slaver. Someone is always here to interrupt. Right. So this is an assassin of the Charusula or the Varankian. The Varankians yeah. working, I think, for Charusula, maybe. Yeah. Un I, I got to be honest, guys. Don't worry about it. Does not matter. Absolutely. Does it's an not alien guy. Any... It's an alien bounty hunter who wants to kill Lila Cheney. He also set the speakers to fall on her earlier in the story. It's but, he's trying again. 
yeah. So the point is, he's there. The new mutants are going after him to try to find out like what's going on. Who is this guy who thinks he's uh, associated with Lila, or what does he want with her? And he reams them. He throws every one of them. So he like flings rain. He <laughs> knocks Sunspot out. He basically deflects Cannonball. Magma continues to like fire. Bolts oh, because Magma's lava. still here, by the yeah, way. Magma's still yeah, here. She Magma. will leave. Um, but he just walks her down and smacks her off the side. How does this part go? You'll have to refresh me on this one. The battle's not going well, essentially. And so Lila starts charging up her powers because it it. turns out that Lila is a mutant herself. She has the power, we will learn, to teleport, but only over enormous intergalactic distances. Yeah, so this was the beat. So the fight's not going well. Cannonball finally tackles him and breaks the beam, and he's holding on for dear life. And Lila begins to charge her power. And she looks up as she's charging, and she's they have the description here. The beat builds one song flowing into the next without a break. The music drives the crowd into a frenzy. And their excitement, their raw physical and emotional energy acts as a supercharger. And she hits an impossible crescendo and then teleports her and the band and Sam only away, leaving the crowd going nuts. And Danny and Cypher on the sidelines just going, what what just happened? And it's notable that when she is launching her power and like charging it up, she's able to make a, a sound, like a note that can only be heard by aliens and is extremely painful. So this isn't her first time at the aliens trying to kill me rodeo is the clear implication. Cannonball and the band land with her in a Dyson sphere. What is a Dyson sphere, you might ask? A Dyson sphere is a theoretical construct built around a sun. Uh, Google it. (laughs) D-Y-S-O-N. I am not. This is not a physics podcast. Oh, Uh, I would love if it were, but I would be mortified because I don't ever want anyone to know how bad at physics I am, but I'm fascinated. Actually, let's let Sam explain it to us. Sam goes, a Dyson sphere. And Lila says, Sam, how marvelous. You know what it is. I've done some reading, mostly science fiction. Basically, you build a shell around a soul-type star, completely enclosing it roughly 100 million miles out, generate an oxygen atmosphere on the inner surface, establish a viable biosphere, and presto, you got a pretty near infinite space capable of supporting human life. Shoot, this makes Mr. Larry Niven's ring world look puny by comparison. Even this city stretches farther than my eye can see, but it's so quiet and still, nothing's moving. Lala, aren't there any people? So far as I can tell, nary a one. Consider this our private paradise. This so, is great for so many reasons. Two of them is that once he know, once he describes a Dyson sphere, Lila Cheney knows that man is Runberg. Yes. <laughs> and second is that it says that Lila has no idea what's going on inside this giant artificial world in which she lives. ADHD she just queen. lives here because she lit- she literally just rolled up one day and was like, this is mine now. Oh, I love this. Love it. And just stayed. And like, it looks as though an advanced civilization once lived here and none of them are here anymore. And much like her soon to be friend Dazzler, who when asked by Cyclops, didn't you ever wonder where your powers came from, said, nope. No, Lila has not. not seen fit to investigate because Lila is the kind of person who 
really believes that possession is nine tenths of the law. Like once she has something <laughs> in her clutches, it's hers, really. It is. It is. And she's very vibes based. I mm-hmm. mean, she was like, look at that hot little corn cob up there. I'm going to take him with me. And this is great because she's stealing the planet right now. Like she is just. Yeah, we'll get to her, her evil scheme. Right. Which is because here's the thing about Lila Cheney. Also, Lila Cheney is a really bad person. And that's part of what's fun about her. Lila's plan and the reason why there are bounty hunters after her and stuff is that she has been doing her world tour on Earth specifically to set up a bunch of points in like a teleportation matrix so that she can teleport the entire planet away and sell it to an alien called Charasala at an auction where aliens are going to bid on the planet Earth and all of its inhabitants who will become slaves. Yeah, this is, we can love Lila Cheney, but that's not because Lila Cheney is a good person. Lila Cheney, if she was your friend, you would hate her. Lila Cheney's plan in this story, her very first appearance, is to sell the entire Earth into slavery uh, for money. You do not have to hand it to her. (laughs) You do not have to hand it to her. But basically, as often happens when you conspire with alien slavers, uh, she gets betrayed and she and Sam are also going to be sold into slavery, which is not her favorite idea ever. This is after she dresses him up in bondage Bondage gear. Yeah, that's just the only way to put it. It's head to toe leather and she loves doing this. This is a beat she will continue to play as long as they are together. Like we don't see it in Extreme X-Men, but they're already But you know that in Extreme X-Men, it's already happening off panel. Yeah. Um, Oh, that town has so many kink circles. There are so many munches going on in Villa (laughs) there. So the new mutants show up and they defeat the bounty hunters and whatnot, but they end up damaging the technology that will create the Stargate web that Lila has been spinning. And Lila's like, "Uh uh-oh, now the teleportation is going to happen anyway, but it's it's just going to destroy destroy the Earth instead of teleporting it, which is is not great. This is a great beat, too, because this is like one of those Amara is a bitch moments that works. (laughs) (laughs) because in the interceding pages like Doug has been deciphering things about the city but we learned that Lila has no idea how any of it works no Lila again just finders keepers and she's she's like how do we turn this off she's like I have no idea and Amara just looks at her it's like typical grave robber mentality she calls her (laughs) a grave robber yeah she calls her a grave robber and honestly heartbreaking the worst person you know makes a point made a great point yeah um luckily though Cypher, the newest member of the New Mutants who just joined them in Slumber Party, is able to save the day by deciphering the alien language and deactivating the Stargate web. The thing that is interesting when you look at these annuals in particular, the ones that Chris did before Wheezy takes over the book and kills off Cypher pretty quickly, is how essential Doug is to saving the day. Like you have this one and then New Mutants Annual 2 is practically a Doug solo where he teams up with Captain Britain to save Betsy from the wild ways and all of that stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it is telling. And there's a really funny beat with Doug in this issue too, where 
So they're there about a day and a half. It takes them about a day and a half to get there in space in the ship that Warlock makes for them. And then they're in the city just wandering. So Lila Cheney has had Sam in this leather bondage outfit for a day and a half. You figure it out. Um, but also Cypher is just having the time of his life. It's like, I wonder what they're going to tell my parents. And Ileana just dead faces goes, don't worry. We always think of something. Or he always thinks of something. And it's just a real dark foreboding moment. But it's For it's Doug, because one day yeah. we're going to have to tell, I mean, famously, Magneto will have to call Doug's parents and tell them something he doesn't want to tell them. So it is sort of a, a grim foreshadowing moment there. Anyway, after the day is saved, Lila teleports everyone back to Earth because of the way her power works. So, like, here's, here's the thing. She has a very specific power that is enormously powerful, but has a big limitation. Chris Claremont is good at creating powers like this. Lila can teleport pretty much anywhere in the universe, but she can only go really, really, really vast, like light years vast distances. Right. So the Dyson sphere is what she uses as a stop-off point because she can go to anywhere she's ever been before. And, and this is something that's, so she has a very powerful and a very like hooked limitation, uh, but it's also ill-defined through a lot of her appearances too. Right. We just know that if she's been somewhere, she can go back to it but she uses the Dyson Sphere as a stop-off because she can teleport, not unlike the way Ilyana teleports through Limbo, which right, is yes. a similar limitation on Ilyana's power that Claremont creates very intentionally. In the same way that to take you from New York to Dallas, let's say, Ilyana has to take you through Limbo, even for a few minutes, which is dangerous, Lila, to take you from London to Manhattan, has to go from London to her Dyson Sphere and then from her Dyson Sphere to Manhattan. Right. Um, so it takes a second longer. There's an added step. It's still yeah, pretty she's, powerful. She jaunts. You know, she's faster yeah, she than does right jaunt. Yeah, it's, she specifically exactly. uses that. And it's one of those things, just to talk about that for a second before we get to the very end of Still This Planet, something I love about her power is that it's faster than light teleportation, which I know they all are, right? You know, it's it's Right, but it's very overtly like space folding in a way yes. that is like tesseractic. You know, they drop tachyons a lot in mm -hmm. talking about there, which you also hear about in relation to, well, space, time, right? Right. Uh, so I think it's a very cool aspect that doesn't get explored a lot. And it's also notable that even though it's inconsistent through different appearances, she does get more add-ons to that, right? Like initially at the end of Still This Planet, like on the next page, she says that she can only teleport between places that she's home. Uh, and then later on, it's just too long distances. And then right. uh, it just kind of becomes, it's like a power creep, but in a way that it's already such a big field, it's almost like she is getting more refined. Well, right. It. She's learning because the thing about her also is that she does not have a Charles Xavier or Emma Frost or anyone like that teaching her how to use her power, she's just kind of been on her own for a really long time and is doing it all by trial and error, much yeah, like the original runaway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and again, referencing Joan Jett right. with Sherry Curry and the runaways, like is very much what's going on there, right? Uh, so they get back to Earth. She teleports them all back to London. <laughs> and she's like, sorry, I was going to sell the Earth into slavery. But basically, Sam, Sam it's a great exchange. Um, Sam is still in his bondage collar and vest with no shirt underneath. And he has a dangly cross earring, which is my favorite thing. Is like, did she pierce his ear? 
you don't see it later. And it's like, got to be it a clip be, on, right? It's got to be a clip on. And that's even funnier. And Lila Cheney is very funny. She's but hilarious. Giving, that is yeah. the thing that like saying, hold on, this will be perfect. Just one second. I need to clip on an earring so that like, can make you extra like wham, you know, right, like and, uh, when they when they're all tied up and they're finally finding out about the plan. It's like, Lila, do you know anything about this plan to steal the earth? And she's like, I want to lie to you, Sam. It's my idea. It's my idea. It's not going well, though. Not going according to plan. So he says, you'd really have sold the earth, all its people. And she says, and this is the key. Seemed only fair. Earth sold me. Right there. Right there. Because we never get the whole story to that. No. And, and he says, also- what do you mean? Into slavery? And she says, my secret, handsome. I wouldn't sell you, Sam, ever. You're pretty fierce. Oh. When I have to be, when I'm protecting what's mine, you want the story of my life, where I've been, where I am, where I'm going? Listen to my songs. It's all there. Uh, well, uh, I mean, I- I'd like to see you again. And she writes a song called Sam that becomes an international chart-busting hit. Absolutely. And uh, what I love about that little dialogue that she has, or that little monologue she has right there, is that it's pure Lila because it is deflecting. It's evasive. Mm-hmm. It's she is someone who my read on her is that she has abandonment issues, like whichever yes. way you draw that. So she's very avoidant. She is always the life of the party, right? Like she is super uh, easy to get along with when you're in a social situation, like her a release party or a concert. But she also doesn't have that many people that she's close around. And I mean, famously, her power, what does she do? She runs away. Right. And I just want to point out, it's been almost 40 years and we still do not know who sold Lila into space slavery, how that happened. We never get that backstory. But I do think it's enormously telling, even from this moment, that it's her justification for trying to sell everyone else on Earth. Every person. There's a difference between someone who escapes from slavery and then becomes a liberator like a lot of characters in the Mm X-Men franchise do. Mm -hmm. And someone like Lila who says, well, I'll get powerful and then I'll get revenge by selling everybody who's ever wronged me into slavery. That's crazy. And it's a fascinating, it's just a fascinating moral dimension to this character who is a mess. And a narcissist in a way that is interesting. It's like, I matter more and my hurt feelings matter more than the freedom and lives of everyone on earth. The, it, everything that's, I mean, part of this is like an Abigail brand thing too, where she's very been in much space so. so long that she has disconnected. She's not an earther in that regard. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to ask her her thoughts on the Supreme court, you know, she would have no idea. She's like uh, of America on Earth? Like she thinks you're talking about the Supreme Court of Jupiter or whatever, you know, right. like of Alpha Centauri. She's not. So she has lost perspective and she's a maladjusted adult. And you get this too. Like, so for the rest of her appearances until she comes back in 29, she's just peppered in through like t shirts that mm-hmm. she care packages. She's sending Sam, which is yes. also a moment. So Sam's room is decorated in Lila posters. Uh, and he's always famously wearing this cut off raggedy crop top black tee that says Lila. It's like a tour merch that she has sent him. And, you know, again, the narcissist moment right there. 
And so like, we just get this little bit peppered in of her and like how her attitude towards like people and everything is. And, and like, it's just, it's fascinating to me. And when we see her in 29, she's once again, she's withdrawn. She's in that Malibu. Yeah, house. I think, I mean, I think it's notable that this is someone who, like the age dynamic of their relationship is important because Lila, I wouldn't call it like predatory or anything like that, but she's definitely interested in Sam because he's naive and innocent and younger than her. And you get the idea that she wouldn't be comfortable pursuing a man who she didn't feel she had all the power over. Right. If there wasn't that safety zone there. Uh, and I think that's really important, too, because I think that they were they're not good together, but they were good for each other. Mm -hmm. um, it helps because, him grow and it mm -hmm. helps her realize that maybe she's been too dispassionate and like sociopathic about other people for the last 15 years or whatever. You right, know? Because uh, behind if that, Sam's like, worth it, if like if Sam is this good a guy, then hmm, maybe I regret trying to sell the earth. Right. And to alien slavers. Maybe if he thinks he's better, I can be better. Right. Uh, and it's it's so funny because in the back of issue of New Mutant 25, there are those amazing Sinkevich uh, profile cards. Yeah. Yes. And so hers is fully wild. She's got this long, crazy hair. She's wearing mm -hmm. like a, a Cyclops-like visor. And she is just in these like red leopard print pants. And there are these descriptions from Xavier who hates her. Hates Harold Lila Xavier Cheney. hates Lila Cheney, and it's the funniest thing in the world to me. Hates her. He's like, you know, my uh, students tell me she's a rock star. I don't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a thief. Someone should really do something about her. But I guess it's okay. Maybe the kids will rub off on her. If only she would stop sending those care packages to Sam and dressing him like a little waif. He definitely is not a fan, let's say. Shortly thereafter, though, Charles departs for space, Magneto mm -hmm. becomes the new headmaster, and we see Lila again in New Mutants 29 when Beto and Amara have been kidnapped and sold into gladiatorial slavery in Los Angeles. Go back to the Sunspot and Magma episodes, but don't worry too much about it. Do not. Uh, this is when we meet Guido Caracella, who will later be known as Strong Guy, who is Lila's bodyguard and is a Bill Sienkiewicz weirdo abstract creature, which is why he never looks normal when regular artists draw. Like the weird little wispy hair is so mm -hmm. bizarre when someone tries to draw it in like a Marvel house style. Oh God, when it looks like it's like really nice hair, like it's silken, it bothers <laughs> me on a level. It's like a little uh, baby tuft. It's like, he looks like the boss baby. It freaks yeah, me out. Yeah, and he also has those head tattoos in 29. In, you yeah, know? Like, and he this, looks he good there because he is like a Sienkiewicz weirdo. Um, but yeah, so this is that it's a broken up story. So it's so weird, too, because it gets interrupted by, by Secret, Secret Wars, Wars too, which is but like of all uh, things to happen to you is not really something you want to have happen. Basically, <laughs> they go to ask Lila for help because Lila is in Malibu recording a new album. She's like bought a house out here. Uh, I say out here, I'm not in Malibu, to be very clear. But if anyone would like to invite me to their Malibu mansion to record some music, I'd love to. I am sitting in my one-bedroom apartment in West Hollywood. But so Lila, because she knows the underground, like, underworld criminal element, 
is able to get them into the gladiator show so that they can, you know, stage a rescue mission. But then Magneto shows up. He makes that big proclamation. He's like, like we've got to fight yeah. the Beyonder. And that's why Lila is very briefly in Secret Wars too, because she teleports them over there. <laughs> Meanwhile, the other thing that's key here is that Lila has a new backup singer. Yes. So Allison Blair comes into the picture here. And this is this is after Dazzler's part. solo series has ended with her mm-hmm. being outed as a mutant and her career is in tatters. But before she joins the X-Men, this is kind of the transitional Dazzler story. Right. And this is a really interesting story to me because it's this is why I say that Lila Phil's lived in because like when Ilyana and Sam come to the Malibu house, you know, you instantly feel like Lila has been living this whole other life. She comes on panel, she gives him a big kiss. She is so excited to see him. And she immediately, when they ask for a, a privacy, teleports them all to the Dyson sphere, mm-hmm. uh, taking Allison with her. And they get this little scene of them describing what's going on, how Amara and Beto got kidnapped and like uh, Allison's situation from Beauty and the Beast where she was in the same arena. Yeah, the gla- she has already experienced the gladiatorial ring in Annie Nascenti's Beauty and the Beast. So she has been saying to that. Too. Like uh, we didn't get like the Heartbreaker Hotel or anything, but it's it's fun to bring that back, even though it leads to the bad karma of it all. Yes. Um, well, I mean, you know, I, I that the thing about that karma story is the fat phobic nature of it is just inescapable, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think that the psychic battle between karma and the Shadow King that takes place yes. in her head and all that is really cool stuff for karma. So it's just kind of a shame that it's one of those stories that just unfortunately has aged really, really badly. And yeah. even at the time, I mean, I wasn't there at the time, but I can only imagine that at the time, even people, I imagine some people would have been like, hmm, this is mm-hmm. odd. But this is a really good beat for Lila because it shows her reading Allison to a T. Like, mm-hmm. like Lila Cheney is a real straight talker when it's not about herself and it's not about anything she's done. Like she immediately sees Allison's like, oh, you miss it. You miss the blood. You miss the lust of the crowd. You miss, you miss the fighting. roar. Yeah. And she's like, no, that's not me. And then immediately, like five pages later, when they're trying to be covert and get in there and learn what's happened to Beto and Amara, she just jumps down into the middle of the arena to save another gladiator that she knew, mm-hmm. like has her number. Yeah. And Lila um, completely clocked that instantly. And, yeah. And we get a bit of her, we get contextually a hint of what's going on with her too, because she talks about how, what, what is the line here? The nature of human blood sports, none more precious than those beside whom you risk your life. And Sam's like, you speaking from experience, Lila? You've heard my song, Sam. There it is again, right there. Well, and what's frustrating for us is that we don't get to hear Lila's songs, right? Like, I want to go to the genius page for Lila Cheney Mm -hmm. and interpret all of her lyrics and figure out her story, but we don't get to. And there's a fun meta thing there because she's always telling them oh well all of my secrets i reveal in the songs right but, but she's inaccessible and so are they mm-hmm. so it's just this this double the reader can't access it which is kind right. of fun. we get a couple of hints every now and again yeah like we'll see a lyric here or there but you know but anyway get in on her story because they get ripped apart 
And so yes. it's not until after everything's happened in Secret Wars 2, the kids have all been kids killed. Kids get and murdered back. by the Beyonder and then brought back and then they're catatonic and then they go to Emma Frost, Massachusetts Academy and then yada, yada, yada. It's not till a year later that Lila pops back up for New Mutants 42, which mm-hmm. is a story that we issue. talked about in, yeah, the Cannonball episode. Sam wants to introduce Lila to his mother, but is a little worried that his mom is not going to like Lila because Lila is a lot. And Lila has a special gift to give to Sam's mother, which is a figurine of like herself as an angel, basically. Right. Which what, uh, what a absolute serve. Yeah. And (laughs) Sam is like, where'd you steal that from? Which really sets her off. Yeah. And it's understandable because she is an intergalactic thief. Yeah, that is what she does for a living is steal treasures from space. But as it turns out, she spent a month mining the ore to craft this herself to make a special present for Sam's mother. Right. So when he rejects it and when he rejects her, she flips and she immediately cuts ties, says it's too bad. We should have had a lot longer. It should have been better. And then, you know, Sam flies off and she takes a plane because she's storming off. And she and Dazzler go off on her like private jet and the uh, plane crashes in the Appalachian Mountains (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) of inclement weather. She couldn't just go to the Dyson Sphere to blow off some steam. She's like, I need to fly a plane into the mountains. Sure. Um, It's really interesting because this is not the first time that Sam has felt that, and this is a repeating beat through the relationship, has felt embarrassed or kind of um, worried about what people will think about him and Lila. And it happens in Still This Planet when the kids come and they find him in like mm-hmm. the leather outfit, which pops up again in 29, except it's now a full collar around his face. Uh, and he just knows that she is so much. She's a lot. She is a leather mommy in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, he's just. The femdom like energy of their relationship is always something that he is a little anxious about. Which I think is fun because it's so obviously what Claremont likes about the relationship. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's it's notable that like, it's not only Lila who's ever in leather in these comics. Right. It does feel like Sam is almost a stand-in for the reaction that people have to Chris Claremont's bondage femdom story. <laughs> Barely lines. disguised writer's fetish. Yeah, like it's sort of him going, oh no, I can't possibly want this. But it's like, but you do, Sam. But you do, Sam. You love it. Sam rescues them from the mountains. And then she shows up at the Guthrie farm for dinner with Ma Guthrie in a ridiculous Powerful. outfit with like a rainbow wig and like it's a test she's testing sam he's like all right like i got it i gotta do that he's like come on in lila and so he's passed the test she teleports back to the dyson sphere and comes back in a very conservative like nice outfit to meet your boyfriend's mom and um they have and a famously nice time. yeah famously Lucinda Guthrie loves Lila Cheney and loves they have a relationship Lila Cheney. for a decade. Well, I guess yeah, no, like we'll later see, time. but we'll later see in Extreme X-Men that she and Lucinda are like still chummy and that like they've talked regularly over the years, which I love. Absolutely. Like. She wrote a song for her. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's also funny too, because we know that like she comes back and she's in a very conservative outfit. She has got that uh, like nice hair, but it's also, it looks just like Dazzler's hair. 
It looks just like Dazzler's hair and the rest of that issue. So it looks almost like Lila just cut Dazzler's <laughs> wig and went back to Sam. Maybe, maybe, maybe. After that, about a year goes by. She pops up in Uncanny. Yeah, Uncanny 214, the Barry Windsor Smith issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, this is another thing that I think when people talk about having, you know, concerns or like, thoughts about like the discrepancy and age gap between Sam and Lila's relationship. It part of it. I look here because she looks like she's like 40 years old. With well, Barry yeah, Windsor I Smith mean, that's just, yeah, he just he he has a tendency to kind of do that a little bit. But beautiful. so this is this is the uh, this is a story about malice. Right. Because malice because has possessed Dazzler, Dazzler. In the interceding time in which she is part of Lila's band. Mm-hmm. And so they're having this uh, big number up on stage. And Dazzler is having her own conversation with Malice in like one of the reflective mirrors or something. Because you can talk to Malice Mm -hmm. in the mirror when Malice is possessing you. It's it's, and she looks like Dazzler too, you know, the big but she looks like right. She looks like disco dazzler, whereas Mm -hmm. Allison has like dyed her hair dark and is like, or maybe it's a wig, I forget, but like is purposely incognito because she's in hiding after her career was ruined and malice is like i'm the dazzler you want to be you know the x-men show up and save dazzler and you know malice is banished off into the distance eventually to possess polaris which will become Mm -hmm. a much bigger problem but this is when dazzler ends up joining the x-men and lila is like you know good luck you know have fun or whatever and i guess goes to like (laughs) hit up craigslist the intergalactic version for a new backup singer yeah i need a new keyboardist and where can i go for that uh, it's it's pretty funny too because like when she blows up on stage and like storms off from Lila, Lila comes after her. And she she says, you know, I want to know what you did that for. She's like, I just felt like it. It was the thing to do. And mm-hmm. Lila looks her up and knows like, okay, but if you do it again, you're fired. Right after this is when the changeover happens uh, on New Mutants between Claremont and Simonson. Lila's next appearance is in New Mutants fifty five, which is Simonson's first issue as mm-hmm. writer on the title. And it's Simonson Blevins. It's such a departure. It's it ta- whiplash. It's real whiplash from the, the previous issues. Um, I, uh, when I was going back over them, it's it. I forgot how abrupt that is. Yeah. How abrupt that is. Cause like because 54, 54 is that party at the Hellfire Club. Uh-huh. That's like very, you know, house style. Just, just interpersonal drama. And, you know, the kind of thing that like by the point at which we had reached, I was so invested in it. And then, so we flipped to that first page in 55 and it's. And Lila shows totally up looking wild. like a Ralph Bakshi cartoon, you know, yes. like it's just a very different like energy. Um, yeah. And now of course that's just because it's such a departure. You know, this is a point at which we, you know, you've spoken about on the show and we've talked about a little bit where they had wanted to age down the kids. And Bob Harris wanted it to feel style. more like, yeah, Bob Harris wanted it to feel more like the YA title. There wasn't the term that we used really then, but like mm-hmm. he wanted it to feel more like a title for younger and it audience. Does, you know, because Sam is just blasting around the, uh, the mansion trying to find something to wear to Lila's record release <laughs> party. All the girls are looking for outfits to wear. You know, there's a really cute moment where uh, Ilyana pops into limbo and then comes back out with Rain's princess dress and they have to convince her to wear it. Um, yes. You know, so it's it's a it's a much different book tonally, but they go to Lila's record release party. Magneto's given them permission, even though they have to be back by one and all the kids complain, which also sets up another 
kind of instance of is Sam too young? Is this like too right. much of a relationship? It definitely, um, he definitely feels really out of place in Lila's world in this story and not in the way Claremont wrote it, where it was like, I'm discovering my adult self and my sexuality and all of this stuff. Like, it's not coming of age. It's you're a child and you shouldn't be here. Right. Yes. It's like you're a child at an adult's party. And right. that is very much this issue, too, because like they go there and some of Lila's old acquaintances, some old space thieves and hustlers, aliens like yeah, alien criminals. Yeah. Are using there. alien inducers uh, are there and they're trying to get Lila to pull off a gig. She blows them off, but she's always so, you know, she's just a very kind of like a plum, like likable person. And so she's like, you don't have to go. You can stay here and join the party, but get lost. Yeah, like, I'm and, not going to steal the relic for you or whatever, but you can hang out and party with my friends. And then they see that she has this connection with Sam. So they kidnap Sam and try to kill him. Right. It's, <laughs> it's so it's slapstick because they they throw out marbles for him to trip over. And then when that doesn't work, you know, you've talked to Zoe about this. Like, he yeah, they drug over. Him. Yeah, they drug him. So like he comes over and he turns down the wine and he gets a Pepsi. But then he takes a fistful of barbiturates <laughs> and goes back out onto the dance floor with Lila until she freaks him out because her face is melting. Right. And he stumbles out the window and the aliens like kidnap him off into the sky. This was the Quaaludes era. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In Manhattan. The New Mutants save the day and Lila turns to Ilyana and is like, why don't you send all these aliens to hell? And yes. Ilyana does. It's so great because <laughs> Ily- I love the kind of the parallels that go along with Ilyana and Lila. Because yes. they are both teleporters who have to have that intermission. You know, they have to go through Limbo. Mm-hmm. They have to go to a Dyson Sphere or a second location. Never go to a second location with Lila Cheney. Never go <laughs> to a second location with Lila Cheney. But... They also have like this moral arc in which they're struggling mm-hmm. with, which Lila's is much more subdued and only in the rare contextual space that you hear from it, where Ilyana, she's a main character, it's on the page. Right. Lila, like, we don't they won't see let me kill of. these guys. What should I do? Should I send them to limbo? And Lila's, and like, Lila's well, like, you know, that is these a guys great idea. Yeah. So send them to hell with <laughs> the complete implication of everything that means. Yeah. She's just sent like these three aliens to hell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the thing that's kind of fun. about. Like, I wish that Lila and Ilyana had had more interactions because mm-hmm. there is a potential here for Lila to be the devil on Ilyana's shoulder, the way that Magneto of all characters has become kind of the angel on her shoulder in this run of New Mutants and sort of establish like Lila as a bad influence on Ilyana, even as Eric is trying to teach Ilyana what like justice is. But it really doesn't progress beyond this Yeah, it never actually forms into anything. They do it a little bit in 29 where when they go to the Dyson Sphere, which is her home. Yeah. You know, Sam, he gets this whole set of like leather outfits. Mm -hmm. She can't even get her any clothes. She's still sitting around in her bikini while they're talking about all this stuff when they're- Ilyana is, you mean. Yeah, Yeah. Ilyana. Yeah, so Ilyana is just sitting around in a bikini in Lila's house. Lila couldn't get her anything to wear. So there's this (laughs) kind of toxic aspect to the relationship. Yeah, and And I I would have liked to see more of it, but we just don't. I think in part because again- with the directive to make the book feel younger, Lila kind of has to shuffle mm-hmm. off the page. Then there's the bit from Spellbound, which we mentioned. Which is, Spellbound yeah. is a mini series that Wheezy did. That's a lot of fun. It's very weird. It's very Louise Simonson, like in that way that Power Pack is. Like it has. It's so, it, it sort of 
it, it's like almost a combo of like power pack and the Ilyana stuff. It's like early Vertigo would be at DC, you know? Yeah. And then like the Gossamer vibe. arc is also very spellbound. Like it particularly mm-hmm. with how dark the underpinnings of Spellbound are. Right. But it's on the surface, it's so colorful. And it's this and like for kids. Yeah. Art. Yeah. Because the the very low end plot of Spellbound is that there are these two rings, which on a person, there are two rings that a dragon sorcerer named Zax sure, yeah, wears. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Zax. And Zax. And then they fall into our plane of existence where they are basically like bands of chaos mm-hmm. and order. And so there's just basically this magic story with a girl named Erica Fortune, Miss Fortune, right. as she like further succumbs to the dark influence of these bands. It's very Amethyst Princess of Gem World. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's it it has a lot of that energy to it, but there's definitely like a dark child vibe here. And in the Marvel Comics Presents sequel to Spellbound, which Louise Simonson oh. does not write, but which is also, I forget who wrote it, but it's great. Erica. I have to check that out. Falls uh, way to the dark side. It's, uh, I it's, want to it's see that real grim. In the original, you know, it does have that dark child kind of vibe to it, where it's like the corrupted version of those fantasy stories in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to like, like, like you were saying with Amethyst and characters of that nature. Uh, but overall, what ends up happening for Lila's part is yeah, that, this is not a spellbound podcast. Yeah, this is so not to a be clear, podcast, we are a not dragon attacks Lila's concert. Yes. That's the biggest part of it. But the <laughs> preceding part are some really great Lila beats where Sam and Warlock and Ilyana come to meet her in her Manhattan townhouse because she has so much real estate. And listen, Warlock, when you're dealing jewels on the black market in the Andromeda galaxy, you can afford a penthouse in Manhattan, is my guess. That's a good read on it. And so they show up to her townhouse, and Warlock's like, I've never seen Lila up this early. Ilyana is like, no, just late. Uh, and they go in and she's on the phone conducting business, yelling at her manager because they booked a band, which is the main character of Spellbound's brother's band. Right. Uh, so they booked a band without hearing them because they supposedly have another alien. And during this little interlude of Lila and the setup for this story, she's like, I don't care if they have an alien. I think that's great. I just don't think it's real. I'm not opposed to causing riots. I cause riots all the time. Isn't that right? And she turns and she gives Sam a big kiss. <laughs> my favorite bit in it is that she teleports everyone away from the dragon including the entire audience to the dyson sphere and all these oh, people are looking yeah. around like where am i everybody's like well lila we gotta go back because there's a dragon that's going to destroy the earth and she's like the earth the earth sold me into sl-. like she she, she starts it doing again. it again yeah and but she's like, who needs them yeah, but eventually she's like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. We'll, we'll go back and, and save the day. Um, but by the time they come back, the dragon is gone. So it's not really a point. And that's Lila's bit in Spellbound. Her next appearance is later that year in the Gossamer arc of New Mutants. Basically, uh, what to say about this? So Gossamer is working for this alien slaver called Spider. The Gossamer arc to me is a really... It is not a, a well-loved arc, right? No. Like it's it's pretty reviled, in fact. And I think there are a lot of things about that. Like having read it now and kind of deconstructing it from like a more critical read to kind of talk about it here, there are so many things that I find fascinating and love about this arc, but it is flawed in a lot of different ways. 
that last issue was just just rust. But what what the setup here is is that someone has finally come to collect um, Lila Cheney. Lila Cheney's former owners, like who she escaped from in slavery, this is the closest we ever get to her backstory. This is the closest we get is that she escaped with the help of this guy Spider, who's like an right. alien slaver. Yeah, who is a very mojo vibe. Like the entire mm-hmm. uh, arc revolves around the fact that Spider bankrupted Lila's former owners, and mm-hmm. uh, and even though Lila doesn't know it, also assisted in her escape. And now that you know he has come back around, he is ready to collect and go. He's get like, his you property. owe me. Yeah, well, you own her because it's, yeah, it's like, almost a technically, matter of like a contract. Right, like is, I own the deed to you, basically, yeah. you know, so. It's a really interesting art because it deals a lot with the music industry in outer space. It's about a mortgage contract on Lila Cheney. There are a lot of parallels to abuse in the music industry. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the stuff that Kesha went through, you know, Brittany went through with the conservatorship. Uh, and, right, and Prince trying stuff. to get out of his record label, yes. like all of that stuff. Yeah, so it's uh, very interesting for that, but it also deals a lot with gender and sexuality. Now, it doesn't say all this stuff super clearly, which is probably why I find it really fascinating. (laughs) Um, But I think there are a couple of things that account for that. One is that, you know, it's Anderson is off the book. Anytime you're doing a Lila Chaney story, if Anderson can be there, that's great. But she had just left. And so now it's under a different vision for the editorial. And mm-hmm. so we're getting a different edit of it. But basically, Spider is this bulbous, four-armed, hairy, like kind of spider-like alien who is- It's Spider also, with a Y. Yeah, it's Spider with a To be clear y, for the way. listeners. It's also Gossamer with a Y on that Yes, well. and one S. And, like, and one here's S. the thing, guys. We can't dwell too much on the Gossamer arc because it's it's just it's it's just not great. But the, the, bottom, great. the bottom line is- that Gossamer is from an alien species where there's sort of these like acute, oh no, who me? Completely different from the Coconut Grove aliens. Right, um, yes. And then they evolve over time into like world devouring abominations. Yeah, very so, HR Giger, you know, mm-hmm. very rights in type of thing. Gossamer has also been enslaved by Spider and he has her entire family in these cocoons where they're going to gestate into monsters but he's using them as honestly for their he's using them for their the silk, silk yeah, because he, they generate he a textile mill yeah, like he's, he's a textile merchant exactly like so he is keeping them sort of in their slumber to harvest their silk yeah. uh, except <laughs> that he accidentally wakes them up and it becomes a big problem and Lila decides that the only way to save everyone is to teleport these world devouring monsters into a sun. The implication is that this kills them and her. Uh, And Sam is left devastated. This is in New Mutant 70. The question I've always had is how does Lila teleport into a sun given that she can only teleport to places that she's been before? So I think this is a Pop Rocks moment. Did you end up reading the Captain Marvel? Yeah, 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 yeah. So when she describes like how her power started up, it's like pop rocks. She didn't really know where she's going. It's just doing that. So we know that mutants, when they're in really emotional states or very heightened um, situations, sometimes they push beyond their abilities. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so no, I but, feel but like that's, she had But that's an those. explanation given like, you know. Oh, like four or like 
many, many years, years later. later. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, never explained. She just pops back up again in Uncanny 269. Well, so that's so we'll get there. But first, I think we should pause for the Cerebro character file on Lila Cheney. I will take you through her complete publication history from New Mutants Annual Number One up through her recent appearance in a Spotlight Infinity comic by Jason Liu that was cute. And then we will come back for more with Margot Mutter. We will talk about Lila's stories in the 90s and beyond. And then we will answer questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Don't change that channel. X-Men, X-Men. Lila Cheney, international rock star and intergalactic master thief, is a memorable supporting character in the X-Men franchise. Created by Chris Claremont and Bob McCloud, British punk rocker Lila is the unlikely love interest of Sam Guthrie, aka Cannonball, an innocent young man from a Kentucky farm. De-emphasized after Claremont's departure from New Mutants, Lila has endured as a reliable supporting player over the years. She currently serves as part of the teleport team for S.W.O.R.D. Lila debuts in 1984's New Mutants Annual No. 1, The Cosmic Cannonball Caper, also known by the title given on the cover, Steal This Planet. The New Mutants are thrilled at the opportunity to see Lila Cheney live in concert and end up getting to know her much better after Sam saves her life when an alien assassin covertly attempts to kill her during soundcheck. Enamored with Sam, the flirtatious Lila invites him and his friends to party with her after the show. During the concert, however, the bounty hunter attacks again, this time openly, compelling the new mutants to leap into battle. Lila, surprisingly nonplussed, uses her mutant power of interstellar teleportation to transport herself, her band, and Sam to her base of operations, an abandoned Dyson Sphere. As Lila's power only allows her to travel massive distances, she uses the Dyson Sphere as a waypoint between jumps. It turns out Lila, actually an intergalactic treasure hunter and criminal, has arranged to sell the Earth and all its inhabitants to the highest bidder in an alien slave auction. Her band's world tour wove a stargate web that will enable Lila to teleport the entire planet to its new owners. When one of her bandmates betrays her to the aliens, she and Sam are scheduled to be put on the block as well. The new mutants manage to defeat the aliens and destroy the controls for the stargate web, which horrifies Lila. Without the control console, the web will obliterate the planet rather than teleporting it. Luckily, the team's newest member, Cypher, is able to use his mutant power to figure out the alien languages involved and shut down the technology. Lila, grateful, promises to spare the Earth from any more of her high-stakes games. She parts from Sam with a kiss, and when he presses her on the brutality of trying to sell humanity into slavery, she reveals that humanity once sold her into slavery. If he wants to know more, he'll need to listen to the lyrics of her songs. Soon afterward, her new single, Sam, becomes a worldwide hit. Sam and Lila's relationship develops off-panel, but it's clear they're in regular contact. She returns in person in New Mutants 29, now living in Malibu and recording a new album. We meet two new members of her entourage, her bodyguard, Guido Caracella, and her new backup singer, Allison. Actually, Allison Blair, the disco dazzler, who's been in hiding since revealing her mutant status and devastating her own music career. Sam and his teammate Ileana Rasputina, aka Magic, arrive at Lila's new home to ask her help rescuing Sunspot and Magma, who've been kidnapped by slavers and forced into underground gladiatorial combat in Los Angeles. Lila's able to get them into the event, but she's then called on by Magneto to teleport the X-Men to battle the Beyonder. Don't worry about it. Lila returns a year later in New Mutants 42, in which Sam decides it's time to introduce her to his mother Lucinda. Lila brings a gift, a statue made of alien singing crystal, but is offended when Sam assumes she stole it. She actually spent months mining the ore and carving it herself as a special gift for her boyfriend's mother. Dumping him on the spot, Lila stalks off to take a private flight with Dazzler, only for their plane to crash into the Appalachians. Sam comes to the rescue, and Lila forgives him, but tests him by arriving to meet his mother in an absolutely outrageous outfit. 
When Sam decides to bring her inside anyway, Lila quickly teleports to the Dyson Sphere and returns in conservative, mom-appropriate attire. In Uncanny X-Men 214, Lila is reunited with the X-Men when Dazzler becomes possessed on tour by the psychic entity Malice. When she's been freed, she decides to join the X-Men and Lila wishes her well. That same month, in New Mutants 48, we meet an alternate version of Lila from a dark future akin to the days of future past, who uses her Dyson Sphere to shelter mutant refugees. Chris Claremont departs New Mutants with issue 54, and new writer Louise Simonson features Lila in her first issue, 55. Lila invites Sam and his friends to a private party at a Manhattan nightclub, but they find her arguing with an alien contact who wants her help stealing an ancient relic. When Lila refuses to participate, the alien drugs and kidnaps Sam, intending to kill him so that Lila will be more focused on business. The New Mutants save the day, and Lila encourages Ilyana to banish the alien culprits to limbo. Lila makes a cameo the following year in 1988's Spellbound, a non-X miniseries also written by Louise Simonson. Here, her concert is attacked by a dragon, compelling her to teleport her band and her audience to safety in the Dyson Sphere. By the time they return to Earth, the dragon is gone. Later that year, she returns for an arc from New Mutants 67 to 70, the Gossamer arc. This arc is not exactly beloved, but Lila's role in it is pretty cool. Basically, Lila's kidnapped by an alien slaver named Spider, who it turns out had secretly assisted in Lila's escape from her former masters once upon a time. Now he has seized ownership of runaway Lila and intends to keep her as his own. The New Mutants and Gossamer, one of Spider's alien slaves, attempt to rescue her, but are captured themselves. Spider reveals he's keeping Gossamer's incubating family in order to harvest their silk. Gossamer's species slowly age into star-devouring monstrosities, and Spider wakes his captives early, endangering the whole galaxy. Lila decides the only solution is to teleport the creatures into a sun, apparently sacrificing her own life in the process. Two years later, Lila's creator Chris Claremont brings the character back without explanation in Uncanny X-Men 269, where she's been hired by the rogue Shi'ar princess Deathbird to rescue Charles Xavier and Empress Lalandra, Deathbird's estranged sister. Lila teleports the X-Men to Shi'ar space, where they defeat the War Scrolls impersonating Charles and Lalandra and rescue the genuine articles. Shortly after this story concludes, Claremont departs the franchise after 16 years as its chief architect. Under co-writers John Byrne and Jim Lee, Lila returns the following year in the new adjectiveless X-Men title, where she tries to help Dazzler cope with the complete amnesia she suffered after passing through the Siege Perilous. When Longshot arrives, pursued by Spiral, Lila tries to teleport them all away, only to find that the Major Domo, Mojo's assistant, has fussed with her powers, sending the whole group directly to the Mojoverse. Lila joins Dazzler and Longshot in allying with the Rebels, but she and Longshot are captured. Lila is brainwashed and forced to act as a flying monkey in Mojo's recreation of the Wizard of Oz. After Longshot apparently kills Mojo and liberates the slaves of Mojo World, Lila returns to Earth with the X-Men. Later that year, the franchise-wide event Executioner's Song begins with a Lila Cheney concert in Central Park, where Charles Xavier delivers a speech advocating for mutant rights. During the speech, he's shot by Strife, posing as Cable, who infects him with a techno-organic virus. Don't worry about it. Go back to the Strife episode if you want. Anyway, Lila hangs around the school until the end of the event, whereupon she crosses paths with Boom Boom, Sam Guthrie's new girlfriend. Boom Boom feels threatened by Lila and makes a rude comment about the commercial failure of Lila's latest album. But Lila makes it clear she has no interest in resuming her romance with Sam. She's too busy and Sam's too young, and she wishes Sam and Boom Boom happiness. Lila teleports X-Force to their new headquarters at Camp Verde and gifts them a high-tech communication setup she bought on the alien black market. While she's there, X-Force discovers that Cable's satellite Grey Malkin is in Earth orbit. As Cable's believed dead following Executioner's song, X-Force decides to launch a salvage mission, and Lila helps them out with transport and retrieval. After the mission, she departs, telling Sam she's keeping a low profile because her record label isn't happy with her. 
She then turns up in X Factor, where she surprises Guido, now the X Factor member's strong guy. Teleporting him right out of the shower and into outer space, she tries to convince Guido to return as her bodyguard for an intergalactic tour. Guido refuses, leading to an angry rebuke from Lila. But after she teleports him back home, she expresses her affection. The following year, Lila and her band are the featured musicians at Scott Summers and Jean Grey's wedding. A year after that, she returns for an arc of X Factor where she's being hunted by aliens because she stole a special music box, which she's since lost track of. In this story, we learn that Lila's mutant power manifested when she was young, and her parents did not believe her when she told them about her travels to outer space. Now, she tries to prevent X-Factor from getting tied up in her latest alien problem, but it becomes impossible once the aliens threaten to blow up Madripoor if they don't get their music box back. Do not worry very much about this story. The big thing is that Guido saves Lila's life by absorbing an explosion, which causes him to have a massive heart attack. I don't usually address the Age of Apocalypse stories in these character files, but it's worth mentioning that the AOA version of Lila is a much more important character than the 616 Lila has ever gotten to be. She's the lover and right hand of Gambit, leader of the Robin Hood-style team of mutant thieves called the Externals. Lila proves essential to the restoration of the true timeline by teleporting the AOA X-Men to the Macron Crystal. Two years later, back on Earth 616, Lila returns for the very peculiar one-shot Strong Guy Reborn, in which Guido's rejoined her entourage after recovering from his heart attack. In this story, Lila confesses her love to Guido, which is crazy. They decide to remain together and travel outer space. She resurfaces five years later in Chris Claremont's Extreme X-Men, where she resumes her romance with Sam Guthrie. She's unhappy when he decides to join Storm's X-Men team, as it takes him away from her. Later in the run of Extreme, one of Lila's concerts is interrupted by an anti-mutant suicide bomber, but Sam and Rogue are able to save the day. She continues to recur in the background as Sam's girlfriend until Claremont again leaves the X-Men titles in 2005. Eight years later, Lila turns up again in Cy Spurrier's run on X-Men Legacy, in which she helps Legion and Pete Wisdom combat anti-mutant prejudice in the United Kingdom. A year after that, she guest stars in Kelly Sue DeConnick's Captain Marvel, where we learn as a young girl she'd been betrothed to the prince of the planet Aladna. The royal family now intends to collect on that promise, and Lila recruits cosmic heroine Carol Danvers to help resolve the situation. As a thank you, Lila teleports Carol back to Earth to spend Christmas with her loved ones. In the 2019 soft reboot, House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Lila is one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. She's mostly a background character performing concerts and cameos, but she takes on a more essential role in Al Ewing's Sword, where she becomes part of the new Sword organization's teleport team. She's also recruited to a one-off squad of exterminators in the one-shot Cable Reloaded, which reunites her with the now-married Sam Guthrie for a little harmless flirtation. After returning to Krakoa, Lila helps Dazzler and Shatterstar again liberate the Mojoverse, this time placing it under Krakoan control. It's hard to say how long Lila Cheney will stick around on Krakoa. She's never been one to put down roots. But with a new sense of purpose in a new mutant nation, perhaps this devil-may-care thief has finally found something worth staying in one place to defend. X-Men, X-Men. And we're back. Margo, I didn't mention, but I love your Zoom background being the Green Lagoon. It's very... Honestly, it gives Cheek. me a nice, it gives me a nice peaceful vibe. Uh, I'm just kind of enjoying the the solitude before the shift gets started. Yeah, I realized actually during the break that we forgot to mention another Lila appearance. That's just like a brief one, which it, because it's not our Lila, so it's like confusing a little bit. Uh, oh, are but you I have about it the one from in um... a New Mutants 48 mm -hmm. when they're like displaced through time. There's that. <laughs> 
dystopian future where Lila and Sam and Danny are trying to like rescue mutants and uh, from the Sentinels. The Dyson sphere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a Days of Future Past esque yes. thing. Yeah, uh, it's really and I fun fully too. just forgot about that. It's also not really our Lila in a lot of ways too, because it's that other Earth and that other timeline. It's, it's, right. It, for all intents and purposes, it is. Uh, and it's a really funny beat they have in there too. So, the but like it's not chapter. listed on the Travis Starnes reading order. So I was like, I no, feel like I'm missing no, no, no. something. And then was like, oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's that other Lila. Yeah. One of the companion pieces to the uh, the Scotland story where Rain famously gives mm-hmm. the, uh, the X Men belt. Yeah. That one's, it's fun too because they go to rescue her and they're like, oh, there's Lila. We have to get her. And Rain makes Danny turn and shoot because she has this like, giant gun makes shoot Lila and it turns out to be a sentinel in disguise and Lila's hidden inside like a yes. like a little treat from a quarter machine yeah no it's fun it's a fun little bit but yeah that's that's the extent of her appearances in New Mutants we've now covered them all she comes back two years after her apparent death in Uncanny X-Men 269 as you mentioned right before the break mm-hmm. this is 1990 this is one of Claremont's last stories in the title, he his final issue of Uncanny is 279. Um, this story is about getting Xavier out of Shi'ar space and back into the narrative, basically. Right, it's the, it's the host story. And, and her bit that comes in starts by just having a couple of pages here and there. But her entrance is one of my favorite Lila moments because we don't see her for years. It's two years that she's off page. And then we just cut to a Shi'ar space station on the far end of the galaxy. And everyone's scrambling through the station. There is this sort of, you know, authoritarian strike lord of the Shi'ar requesting that they track down the Terran female. And we see her and she's got the short haircut. She's in these uh, like little heeled boots and this amazing 80s party dress and black gloves. With the polka dots. Yeah. Yes. And she's just hauling ass through until she gets busted by Shi'ar troops. And then she takes their gun and blows a hole in the side of the space station. And they're all holding on for dear life saying, you know, we've got her. She's fine. She's dead. And they're like, have you read our file, fool? She's a celestial scale teleporter. And then she just goes away. Pink is the sound. She logs off right there. Yeah. And it turns out that she was hired by Deathbird. This is such a great pairing. The two of them together, <laughs> it's like, I want more of that. Who dumb? I do Jolay? too. I you know, need, Deathbird. yeah, I need, uh, I need more Lila and Deathbird for sure. Um, so Deathbird has hired her to help rescue Charles Xavier. It turns out that Lalandra and Charles have been replaced by Skrulls. <laughs> do not worry about it. Do not worry um, about it. The War Skrulls arc is very... Dwight. It's a big Dwight. And uh, the point is that the X-Men who have recently come back together after the Siege Perilous join forces to rescue Charles and uh, Lila helps. And then she teleports them all back home after essentially finishing the gig for Deathbird. Has the great panels of them teleporting back at one point with the giant backpacks and the alien rifles that they come mm-hmm. in with it's also good it's good for, stuff uh, jubilee hating space jubilee hates space she jubilee hates is space. pretty new to the x-men and the space thing she does not approve mm-hmm. uh so she pops up in uh, after the reboot she pops up in that 
uh, Dazzler and Longshot story where they yes. get a Mojo 2 sequel. Mm -hmm. uh, so Rebellion. after after Claremont and Simonson depart the franchise, she pops up in 1992 in X-Men, the adjectiveless new title five through seven, uh, where we revisit Mojo World. It is worth noting that in the interim, we have seen that when Dazzler went through the siege perilous, she washed up amnesiac at Lila's house in, Malibu, yeah, her house in Malibu and Guido has been taking care of her there. So Lila goes home and is like, oh, okay, weird. Interesting. In my house. And you don't remember me or anything. So that's weird. And then Longshot shows up and Dazzler doesn't remember him either. And then Spiral shows up. Like right through <laughs> a glass window is how he shows up. He just gets yes. thrown into Lila Cheney's house, shattering the window. And uh, then Spiral, who is chasing after him, turns up and Lila tries to teleport them away. It turns out that the major domo has somehow interfered with Lila's power. And so she teleports them directly into the Mojoverse. Lila and Longshot are taken captive. And when we see her again, it's in uh, issues 10 and 11, where she has been brainwashed into being a flying monkey in Mojo's reproduction of The Wizard of Oz starring Truly a Longshot. Flop era. Yeah, that is, that is not a hot moment for her, but it's short. <laughs> That's the thankful part is it's short. So they wrap everything up. And Lila Longshot kills Mojo, apparently. Mojo to the sequel takes over Mojo World. And Lila... Johns off. And that's because that's what she does. Yeah. Uh, and we don't see her again until the beginning of Executioner's Song. Because where... Executioner's Song begins <laughs> with Charles Xavier delivering a speech at the charity concert in Central Park that Lila Cheney is headlining. Yeah, and it's, I mean- This is I sort of the really... ultimate Lila Cheney concert gets interrupted moment because it Strife is. posing as Cable attempts to assassinate Professor Xavier and I don't at get the, the Lila Cheney concert. Shooting, uh, shooting Charles Xavier at a Lila Cheney concert frankly sounds like the most fun a girl can have without taking off her clothes. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a lot, but she's only there for that moment. She shows up in none of the rest of that arc. Like they basically don't mention her so that when we come back around at the end of it, at the end of Executioner's yeah. Song, when all the misunderstandings have been worked out and X-Force, formerly the New Mutants, are released from custody, Cable is now apparently dead. So Cannonball and Boom Boom are trying to like lead in his absence. And Boom Boom, who amusingly in this moment has her jaw wired shut because mm -hmm. Skids kicked her in the face during Skids' brainwashed MLF era. See, this is one of those great places where when you're reading as a kid and you don't have access to all the other issues, uh, it really comes back into play. Because when I was a kid and I remember reading, uh, I think it's X-Force 19, mm -hmm. uh, that, that first issue there, I had no idea what was going on with Boom Boom's jaw. I thought that was like a piece that she always had. Yeah, and no, never it's seen just anyone this one arc. Broken. Yeah. It's a weird moment because Polaris also gets her jaw broken around this era. And then it's just like, and they both have their jaw wired shut with that same device. And then it's like never really something that ever happens in an X-Men comic again. But it's sitting I don't know. in some drawer in the Xavier Mansion yeah. and like the overgrown parts of it. Uh, but um, anyway, so this but is so where, Boom like, Boom Lila is, yeah, so Lila shows up and is hanging around the mansion basically until after Xavier is, you know, better and, and everything seems fine. 
Uh, and Boom Boom, who is romantically involved with Cannonball by this point, is really freaked out that Lila is present. This is where Fabian Niciesa firmly just like ends the relationship and writes Lila out. It's such a good move too, because like she is connected to intrinsically to like the men who she is associated with in a lot of her run. Um, but it's also just like, I like that they cut it right here because it gives a better platform for Sam moving forward. Mm-hmm. And they don't, and she does a really good job in this next arc, the entire assault on Grey Malkin arc. Like, yeah. You know, she's trying to be a better person. Like she's saying, yes. you know, Sam is too young for me. I'm. Yeah. She says plane. to, she says to Boom Boom, like Boom Boom is like coming at her. I mean, as much as Boom Boom can with her jaw wired shut, but she's like, your latest album was a flop. Like she's, you Which know, is so funny because I think that because of the time frame, I think that's the album she would be making in Malibu. So it'd be it the is. Album no, it's, she it's, was it's literally the album that she made when she was dating Sam has tanked. And that is why on some level, I think she's like, maybe I need to just move on with my life. So she says to Boom Boom, she like tells Boom Boom, she tells Tabby basically shut the fuck up and listen to me. And she says, Sam Guthrie and I are just friends. I'm too busy. He's too young. We had a little fling. That's all. You want him? Then go for it. And Boom Boom goes through her like jaw wired shut she goes i mean it of course it might be hard to land the cutie if you and the rest of x force do time in the vault so and then she calls her a passe joan jet madonna clone but it's like boom boom you're a madonna clone you literally showed up wearing the outfit from the lucky star video so what are you talking about um but anyway all that to say lila johnston back over to uh to their new base which is at the abandoned apache reservation at camp verde uh, well, and it wasn't really abandoned. Trying, yeah. I mean, Strife killed all the Apache who were there. So mm. it's empty, let's say. Yeah. Uh, and X-Verse has set Much it up. Better. She gets them a, uh, like, a, like a, a cool advanced. Receiver. Yeah, like communications array from space that's like alien technology. Uh, and then the whole crisis occurs with Cable's, like, satellite, Gray Malkin, that is now like orbiting without his direction and that everybody wants to get their hands on. So, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. wants to salvage it. The Acolytes end up using it for some stuff, but- uh, But X-Force helps. wants it. Yeah. Yes, X- like, because Sam they want to get, well, they want to get any cable. like, yeah, any of Cable's stuff that they can get because Cable at this point is like believed dead and he was Sam and Beto's father figure. and Right, and Lila's yeah. trying to help him through that. And to be honest, she's kind of a jerk at parts of this arc. He's like, <laughs> wait a minute, girl. And she's like, Sam, you may be thinking a little too, a little too hot. Yeah. But she tries to be better about all that. But in the result is that they do go to Grey Malkin and they do try to salvage it while S.H.I.E.L.D. and War Machine uh, are all coming on board and they're fighting with X-Force. But it's really funny because the all of Grey Malkin is falling apart and Fury and his crew have no idea how they're going to get out. So Lila just teleports back and she's, she's left because at the beginning of the next issue, she's caught in a gunfight. And this is not Lila Cheney's scene. No, so she she dips out. And as the entire station falls apart, she dips back in with Richter and them and she saves Fury's crew. And he is absolutely beside himself over that. But when they show back up, they're all wearing lays. They've been through they're wearing like alien lays. They've been through a skull brothel where they have jaunted between in order to get back to their ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just a great moment because then uh, G.W. Bridges tries to. God. 
Yeah, he tries to arrest them and you can't arrest a teleporter. No, this is not a GW Bridge podcast. So we'll just move on from there. The next time we see Lila is a couple months later in X Factor 93. This is after Peter David has left the book. So it's the Scott Lobdell and James DeMatteis era before Howard Mackey. This issue gives me nightmares. This is a weird issue. Uh, Basically, she shows up to try and convince Guido, who at this point as strong guy is a member of X Factor, the government team, to come away with her and be her bodyguard again. And he's really uh, upset because Eliana's just died. It, and she's basically like, you didn't even know that girl. Why do you care? <laughs> Which is messed up because she did. Because she did. She knew right. her. No, I know. She had I a know. bigger relationship with her than Guido did. Yeah. Uh, and she's just kind of a little off right here. And the thing about it is that it's a different right for her. And while I think that the characterization in that issue doesn't read well, it's not out of line necessarily for Lila Cheney. No, it's it, to me what it feels like is now that she's decided that Sam is better off without her, she's sort of hardening her heart to the new mutants and the friends she had made on Earth, mm-hmm. which makes sense to me. Because we also see like after she's like, all right, then fuck you, Guido, and like kicks him out into like a portal to send him back to Earth. He's nude for the entire story, by the way, because right, she got him right of, out of the, yeah, the shower. Yeah, in the middle of Astro Park, which is like this, crazily like flooded with people intergalactic rock venue but after he's disappeared she's like oh you big dumb jack i'm really gonna miss you like we see that she was kind of on some level being mean to him so that he wouldn't feel bad about and wouldn't feel bad about not coming with her you know what i mean she's very manipulative in that way where like she sort of does a lot of like reverse psychology with people Mm -hmm. or like she'll you know, she does a tough love thing a lot of the time. It works more sometimes than it does other times. This issue is a little weird, but on balance, it works for me. Yeah, um, and it's not a very important issue. You don't no. really have to worry about this. It just does establish that Guido and Lila do have a professional and a romantic relationship, which is another messy thing about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see her next in the wedding. Well, yeah, because like Guido is kind of in love with her is sort of the oh, thing absolutely. about their relationship that's complicated. But he feels like he has a purpose now with X Factor. So it, it's sort of him choosing duty over love, except that Lila's never really reciprocated his feelings. So the whole thing is complicated. Um, and we'll get into that more in a in a Strong Guy episode at some point because that's mm-hmm. more about him and his arc. The following year, she sh- and her band play at Scott and Jean's wedding, which is a cute bit. It's a cute thing. You see Xavier once again throwing shade at Lila. He's like, I've, <laughs> like she begins to play the wedding march. She's like, I've never really cared for Lila, uh, for her music and her voice, but I must say this moment I've changed my mind. Uh, and then here's the thing too is like why is she playing their wedding she doesn't know scott and jean very well and my idea is or like my thought about that is that like xavier has somehow coerced her because she complains about playing jazz throughout the wedding he got it definitely feels like she's doing a favor for charles Mm -hmm. like yeah like i got shot at your concert so you better come play (laughs) my like foster children's wedding you know right it's Um, kind of the vibe um, background completely. Um, we don't usually discuss the alternate universes on this pod, but it's worth mentioning that her next big thing after that is Age of Apocalypse, where she's a mm-hmm. pretty major character. And, you know, I don't want to go into too, too much detail, but in uh, Gambit and the Externals, which is one of the minis 
she's basically Gambit's right hand and they're like, you know, fun space pirates, sort of star jammers style together. Uh, Guido is there in this reality also and is desperately in love with her, but she does not reciprocate. And, and it leads him to being the villain. And, and he eventually betrays yeah, them mm-hmm. to try and uh, get safe passage for him and Lila, which is not what she wants, but she proves essential to the restoration of reality with the Macron crystal and all of that. And also famously Gambit forsakes the universe and the peace of the universe so that he can keep Lila Cheney. Yeah. There's an interesting thing there where it's like in the real reality, they've never really interacted very much, but they have this, really deep bond in Age of Apocalypse and neither of them remember it because it was Mm -hmm. a reality warp that they don't remember. It's not like Age of X or Age of X-Man. So it would be interesting to see them together again at some point. Yeah, and Uh, then it's years. Uh, It's it's not until Extreme X-Men. Well, she has a couple little appearances between. Um, She plays the wedding for Megan and Brian. She does, but there's also uh, a a bit where she pops up again in uh, X Factor. Oh yeah, I had that before uh, Age of Apocalypse. I might be reversed on that, but yeah, she pops uh, up. Back is in it X before? Factor. I don't think so. It's she pops up in X Factor. It's in '95. I guess that might be before. Yeah, so it's one ten and one eleven. So uh-huh. it's right after. Yes, yes, Legion right before Quest. AOA. Yeah, it's between Legion Quest and AOA. There's a little arc where she joins forces with Strong Guy to, you know, stop an alien civil war. It's um, it's just it's, not that major. It's not that plot. Good. It is funny uh, in a couple of ways, but it's a pretty small beat. And the thing it ends with is her selfishness causing Guido to have a heart attack. To almost die, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the big thing is that he takes, he basically jumps on a bomb to save her and he's able with his strength to withstand that. But given the way his power works, it causes him to have a heart attack and almost die. Forge is able to stabilize him. This leads to a, uh, in 97, after AOA, there's that one-shot strong guy reborn. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a comic book that was printed. Um, um, which you don't have to worry about, but uh-huh. it's yet again, like, Lila's involved in an alien war. It's hijinks. Uh, they kidnap Guido to try and use him as leverage against Lila. And Lila, at this point, and this is truly insane, confesses to Guido that she's in love with him. And can't live without him. Uh, yeah. And, and we know she's a person of like big emotions. That's like a, a thing that comes up in arcs before, but this is just like. It's just wow. wildly out of character in terms mm-hmm. of like how their relationship has been portrayed up to this point. But he decides to stay with her and it's why he doesn't continue into like the Mackie X Factor and all of that mm-hmm. is that he's off with Lila. That's also the last. finds out about Alex's death um, while he's with Lila because they come back for this. It's uh, X-Men Unlimited 21. At the end of it, they mm-hmm. talk about going and seeing like Alex and Lorna. And that's when they have to break it to him. It's like, well, Alex was Yeah, was Alex killed. is dead because he got shunted off to the Mutant X reality at the end of X-Factor. Um, this is that's also around when she does play Brian and Megan's wedding at the end of Excalibur. And then we don't see her again until Extreme X-Men in 2003, where Chris Claremont is writing Cannonball again. And so he has him run into Lila Cheney at a show in Paris and they immediately start dating again and are madly in love all over again. 
It freaks me out too because like when Lila sees Sam again, she does the same thing that she did with Guido. She's like, oh my God, Sam, it's for you. It's always been for you. Come away with me. You need to heal. You need to get better. And she's like (laughs) just projecting and she looks like she had lost it. But they do, they go away and they have a couple of months having whatever adventure in the Crab Nebula. Um, And then they come back and they're together and they like stay in a Paris hotel because he was part of X-Corp. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's not until... It's not until the Intifada arc that we really see her again. Yeah. And, you know, she's with him until the end of Extreme X-Men, whereupon she just disappears from the story again. And isn't seen again, as far as I can think of in any major capacity, until uh, Cy Spurrier's X-Men Legacy, like several years later. I want to say that's like 2013. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, the part in Extreme, she's a background player. She's just very. It's just Chris anxious. wanted to Chris yeah. wanted to put Sam and Lila back together because he never broke them up, and to him, that's Sam's love interest who he's right, supposed to be with. Right, all the way with. to X Men: The End. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, in X Men: like The End, they have three kids. You know, mm-hmm. like Chris loves them together. So right, but by the time that she pops back up in X Men Legacy, they're not together. She's out of no. the story. No one's seen her. And she is just in Britain meeting with Legion and Pixie and Chamber. Yeah, it's a Um, whole bit where like Britain, as they sometimes do, has decided like mutants are bad. Uh, I mean, we're we're back in that place. again. Basically, whenever the Tories are in power, they crack down on mutants. It goes all the way back to the Jasper's Warp. And they're doing it again now with Kavanakaba. But this is another case where they're really, you know, anti-mutant at that time. Uh, Pete Wisdom helps coordinate all the British mutants together. And they do all kinds of incredible, miraculous charity work, basically. And Lila broadcasts it all on, like, the BBC by, like, hijacking the airwaves. Which is fun because it's the kind of heist I want to see more of when I think of her character. Like, I want there to be little twists like that. I want it to be not so straightforward. You know, I'm not saying we need to get, like, Inception Lila Cheney story. No, but she has Catwoman vibes, and it would be mm-hmm. nice to, like, to see do, her do more it. Catwoman stuff with her. Yeah. Right, um, because she's crafty. Uh, she popped up two more times in Legacy, but they're really not... Just, like, cameos, basically, right. Yeah. And then a couple years later, she has an arc, as you mentioned, of Captain Marvel. It turns out that when she was a kid, so like we do learn, I believe actually during that brief X Factor arc in like the 110 range that Mm -hmm. when Lila's powers first activated, she was like a a little kid and she just started kind of teleporting at random around the galaxy. (laughs) Right. It's it's giving a very Lion Witch in the Wardrobe, right? Yes. A very kind of like British trope that I think is really cool. It's very much like a portal fantasy kind of vibe, Mm -hmm. Uh, much like Kailan, who will be covering next week on this podcast. I'm so excited. So it turns out that in one of those like jaunts as a young kid or like a a tween, Mm -hmm. she had promised that she would marry the prince of the planet Aladna. Uh, And now after the war with the builders, don't worry about it. This is not an Avengers podcast. Mm. uh, The Aladna royal family wants to make her stick to it because Earth is popular right now. Anyway, she crosses paths with Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers helps her escape from the marriage. 
and they become pals. And now yeah, like Lila and Carol are friends and that's something that people could revisit, which might be fun. It's like I two Claremont dames, no waiting. Like, you know, she's a character who makes sense for Carol to know they're both space characters. It's something that people could do more with if they wanted to. Very much. And it's a fun little, like it's only the one issue. The next couple of issues are just like her playing bus for Carol. Yeah, her just teleporting um, Carol around basically. Which is funny because when she leaves her, so she takes her to New York uh, for like a, a holiday story and then she takes her back to her ship. But when she drops her back off at her ship, she's like, I've got to go. I have an important meeting with the client. You can't miss it. Bye. And like pops out. And at that moment is when Carol knows her ship, her ship has been stripped. Yeah. Uh, her friends are gone. Her cat's gone. <laughs> she's just floating in space. And Lila has just stranded her out in the middle of space. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Lila like you moment. do the Lila. It's a Lila Cheney moment. And that's the last we see of her for five years until after the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman. Uh, mm-hmm. When she turns up on Krakoa, specifically, I think she's in like one of those group shot cameos at one point. But the, and, and we see her like playing with Dazzler in X Factor. She's around on Krakoa. Yeah, she does like little guest spots in the Green Lagoon. She plays with yeah. Shark Girl and Siren and all that. But the big thing is once Sword starts up, we see that Lila is part of the teleport team at Sword. And this is interesting to me because I'm not sure I buy it. And like, I love right? Al. I trust Al Ewing implicitly. And if there was like, if we get a story that explains it more, I'd be intrigued. But I find it hard to buy Lila as a team having player. a job or like yeah. being a team player or even like trying to advance mutant interests. Yeah, it's a very interesting position when we see her in that because it doesn't make sense for her to go after that like somebody recruited her whether it was abigail or whether it was sam via abigail or something like that right it's out of character for her and and clearly it's in her character but it's out of her previously established character. yeah it's just it's just it's a shift that i would like to see her now i mean she's living on krakoa and playing gigs and stuff intermittently so she's around i just would like to see more of a of a discussion maybe i did really like when she was part of the brief exterminator squad in oh, that was cable fun. reloaded one shot and you get her and boom boom both like giving sam shit about his marriage in like a playful way oh it's so um, much fun like when they're cruising into the city and he's like i shouldn't have been blasting you know i mm-hmm. uh, i would have been heard for miles and lila's just like you always were a bit loud sam right exactly like that's fun i just you know I get why like Blink and Amelia Vote and like mm-hmm. other characters, Vanisher even, who like just wants a paycheck. Like I get why they're at S.W.O.R.D. I'd like a little more of like an elaboration on what she's doing there. But, you know, it's fine. She's, I mean, it, it was is. nice to see it's, her. It's a, it's a, a kind of a, a play to her narcissism though. It's like, oh, well, we need really powerful tele, uh, teleporters. Right. You know, could you do this? Could yeah, I? no, that's true. Uh, it's really funny, too, when Eden goes on his big walk in issue three, when she, uh, he calls in and he's like, well, you're going to be in charge. No, you're second in command. Haven't you looked at the charts? Yes. Yeah, uh, so that's, that's what, fun. That's she is. Yeah, and then and in a way it does make sense because when they start to do that first push off into the white room, he says, you know, just relax like we've been doing, just like a song, just like seeing mm-hmm. a song. 
And I like in Reloaded when, you know, Cora of the Burning Heart is like boosting their powers and stuff. And Cable asks Lila if she needs a boost. And she's like, I might need a boost if you wanted me to teleport you down the street. But if we're teleporting to different planets, no, that's what I do, baby. Right. Let me just take this giant mech turned into a gun from Breakworld and just pop it right over. Like it's nothing. Because yeah, exactly. that is the like, scale that's of power. Fun. It's not the um, with her. And that's why it's clear to me that like Al knows the character well. So I'm just intrigued as to like what she's doing with S.W.O.R.D. And, and maybe as Abigail Brand's machinations continue, we'll get more insight into what she's doing on the piece. That would be fun. I mean, I don't think that Lila is of the scale to outwit Brand no. on the large, <laughs> but she can get one over on her. Sure, I think sure. Very easily. Um, and well, and she's someone blast. who, and she's someone who Beto could reach out to to help get one over on Abigail. I would love to see the two of them together again. That I would really be a lot would. of fun. Um, and then we just had the last one, which is an X Men Unlimited comic um, mm-hmm. by Justin Liu, in which she basically goes on a reality show. It's a dating show in yes. which rock stars go undercover. They go on a couple of dates, and it lets people see them like real human beings. And it's uh, it's Sophia Wind Dancer who puts her up to it. Yeah, because she is now Lila Cheney's manager and she's also the regent of the Mojoverse. Mm-hmm. And so it's her and Lila and Shark Girl and they're all hanging out in this little quaint cafe and she goes on a couple of bad dates until the last one is literally, it's like like literally a Patriot Front guy. It's a Friends of Humanity right. asshole racist. Uh, and he comes in and he's talking all sorts of garbage to their waiter who is this lovely boy with these giant eyes <laughs> uh, like literally giant eyes yeah yeah yeah. and she's like well no you suck get out of here and then the whole crew comes back to try to trash the restaurant and she drops them all on an alien planet and says this is over bye it's very iliana feel free to send these aliens to hell mm-hmm. yeah exactly and that's uh that's pretty much it everything else she's been in has been background shots mm-hmm. uh, she's done that little bit next factor but she has been well, she helped Dazzler liberate the Mojoverse. Mm-hmm. Like, but again, she didn't have dialogue. It was like very. No, she was playing the gig. Yeah, uh, which and that's you know, most of it's her fine. Style. It is fine. Um, but it's, I'd uh, like to nice see. Reset. But I'd like to see her. You know, have more. Part of it, I think, is that because Cannonball is kind of retired as a character, it's not as obvious. You like let's loop Lila Cheney into this. Absolutely. I mean, but I'd like to no see No one's saying let's loop strong guy into this. So no one's saying let's loop strong guy in by way of Lila Cheney or right. Lila Cheney by way of strong guy. And those are her two strongest connections. So mm-hmm. uh, I do think that Sunspot is a, a way in there because they certainly are close in their way. But like, I feel like Sunspot is also probably jealous of the hold that she still commands over Sam. And everybody, every time someone runs into Lila Cheney, the first thing you see is they are so excited. They're just like, Lila Cheney? Yeah, but for him, I think that, like, specifically... Oh, the whole over Sam specifically in her person. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, Sam lost his V-card to this lady and not me is, like, <laughs> I think something that Sunspot thinks about a lot. I, I also think that's true. <laughs> uh, I think now is a good time to get into the questions. As I said, we got a bunch of Lila Cheney queries. So 
Will Brereton writes, Dear Connor and Margot, I just finished listening to the episode on Celine's flop granddaughter Magma and realized <laughs> I might actually be in time to ask a question on something that's genuinely been bugging me for almost two full decades of my life. My question is this, where did Lila purchase her personal Dyson sphere? Was it a fire sale from Cordyceps Jones? Did she pay over or under galactic standard? What color scheme is the interior? Given that a Dyson sphere is a theoretical megastructure, did Lila's creator, I'm assuming Claremont, given how Lila's Dyson sphere is essential to the escape plans in X-Men The End, which, by the way, you should do a Patreon episode on as it's crazy gold. <laughs> really fuck up the dimensions? I feel like it's written as the size of a house or maybe a TARDIS instead of something that would take 120 years to construct and eventually encompass 6.9 times 10 to the 13th power square kilometers. I'm worried I've probably out-nerded myself on this question, but I've genuinely been wondering this for 18 years, and this is probably the only opportunity I'll ever have to get anything close to an answer. Thank you for the pod. My favorite three hours and 50-odd minutes of every week. Will. So she didn't buy it. No, She found she, it. She, it was abandoned. Yeah, she found it. She jumped into it. Now, I do think she, this is tangential. I do think she bought the uh, interdimensional apartment that pops up in Extreme. Yes. Because, or like she freed it. But Lila Cheney's Dyson Sphere, she buys nothing to decorate it. She's taken from all the different places that are there. Yeah. And it so mostly she's got, like, is like pillows and rugs. It is like civilization sized. Like it's huge. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire abandoned like metropolis that they just look at. And she's like, she yeah. She sleep in a new bed every night for the rest of her life and not run out. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. I guess everybody left. And everyone's like, that's weird. And she's like, ah, Are I'm you not sure? really going to look into it. You know, yeah. there's probably somebody <laughs> who's like really annoyed, but happy they don't have to pay rent anymore. They mm. just like get so fed up whenever their band is just practicing at 2 a.m. Yes, exactly. No, and there absolutely could be people in it that she just hasn't bothered to notice, I think. How would she? Because it's yeah, big. I don't think so. And yes, she doesn't pay that so much big. attention. You no, know? she is. A, she's famously not caring about the details, uh, which is what I think is like how she decorates her Dyson sphere. She like takes stuff that's from the other places around that Dyson sphere. Anything she picks up at a gig or a show, there's probably boxes of Lila merch, mm-hmm. uh, a jacket that she just thought looked good one time that is just sitting in some random room. Absolutely. Patrick Talbot writes, hello, Connor and guest. How do you think Lila discovered her powers? They only operate over vast intergalactic distances. So how do you think she successfully did her first port without dying in the vast vacuum of space? I think about this a lot. This is actually (laughs) sort of addressed in that Captain Marvel story. She explains that her powers originally when she was younger, she just sort of like, she uses pop rocks as an analogy. Margo, do you want to Mm -hmm. explain that? You were bringing that up. Yeah, so she puts the analogy of Pop Rocks, which if you've never had them, are an old American candy. You put them in, they're carbonated, hard candies that then in your mouth become more... Explosive. uh, Yes, exactly. So a very kind of effervescent feeling. And then she poured it to a place, then that was it. Like she didn't have to be in somewhere that was home. That's just probably what she imprinted on. Yeah, and that's how go back home. Right. And that's how her power develops is that she can go to places she's been. But initially, to start out, she wound up uncontrollably in a few places where she hadn't been because she wasn't controlling the power. Of disbelief. uh, Yeah, we just have to allow that. Yeah. Um, because it's exactly what should happen to her. She pops out into the back of space. It's what happens to Danny and then when they try to follow her in that right. issue. And like X gene mutations typically are shown to, I mean, there are a couple exceptions that we've seen over the years, but for the most part, they manifest in ways that protect you. So her power was not going to shunt her into the vacuum of space, right? Like right. it was going to send her somewhere where she could live. Exactly. Um, 
because it's sort of instinctive that way. Yeah, and I, I feel like her powers over that time period or like over her publication history have slowly grown more refined but mm-hmm. she's not a refined user of them. She's very brash. She's like the hardliest working woman in show business. No, she's a very blunt instrument with her mm-hmm. powers, but they do sort of develop over time to have more applications. Yeah, exactly. But but it's still very specific in that regard. Stephen Deeney writes, Dear Connor and esteemed guest, I'm a huge Lila Cheney stand. dare I say obsessed. Let's discuss the potential for all of her wonderful toys. Though I'd love to delve into all the trinkets and baubles she steals around the universe and stories in her Dyson sphere, I'm more interested in all the different types of strange weapons and technology, ranging from clothes changing machines to virtual reality rooms. We know Lila's last album was a total flop. If Celine and the rest of X Corp have exhausted all legal appeals with the old record company and they want their money, does the Dyson sphere have a high-tech, super futuristic recording studio that could allow Lila to collaborate with any musician alive or dead if so who would lila collaborate with on her next duets album p.s connor you've literally reinvigorated my love and passion for these characters you're doing the work of mother ascani so if lila was able to collaborate with anyone who do you think i think if it it was time displaced i do think that there are a lot of dead punk icons that lila would Mm -hmm. love to get on a track or even just like icons from earlier parts in their career too if i'm going to go more can not necessarily contemporary, but more modern. I would love to see a Lila Cheney PJ Harvey record. Just I hanging mean... out on the moon. It would be so much fun. But if you just go back to like Susie Quattro or mm-hmm. you know any of those classic female rockers from like the heyday where she was based on. I think there are a lot of people like polystyrene, for example, that she would love to do tracks with like who've passed away or people from the seventies before she was an active rocker. Like, I think that would be fun. I think Um, that'd be a lot of fun. But in general, what I'd be more interested in than like people we've heard of from earth is like Lila collaborating with intergalactic musicians, like aliens. Yeah. I would like to see more of that, you know, um, Anthony talked about being really interested on a previous episode about mutants who create art for the mutant community and for the mutant population and like Mm -hmm. how that is seen. I think that would be great to see more of that with Lila. I think it would be great to see her as more of part of the soul system as we are moving outward and expanding. Yeah. Um, What I was going to say before uh, is that I feel like as far as the rights are concerned, she's not as hot a commodity as she was in her heyday. So I feel like Xavier could have probably bought up quietly all the rights before. Like to the masters, like the the back catalog stuff. Yeah. Well, especially after that Malibu album was such a flop. Exactly. Um, Because we know that Sam was a big hit and Home Again was a big hit. So like, Mm -hmm. there's still stuff in there that they could use. Absolutely. I don't necessarily think that she has great facilities on her own because she's never been very good at managing things. No, and she's kind of scatterbrained. Like, she's a little bit ADD. Oh, for sure. She's literally always looking for the next shiny thing. You know what I mean? Like, that right. is Right, it's, it's, it's in her DNA. Mm-hmm. Sean Hansen writes, Hi, Connor and esteemed guest. Oh, my God, a Lila Cheney episode. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> I got that vibe from a lot of people. They were like, I didn't think you'd do Lila Cheney. I'm like, we're going to do everybody, baby. Everybody with That's this personality. Right. In. I'm reading through the Claremont era, and I just got to New Mutants Annual number one. Recently, I immediately fell in love with Lila, so I can't wait to hear the episode. I know everyone says this, but I'll genuinely try to keep it brief. Actually, I've only read two Lila appearances thus far, so I really don't have much choice in the matter. First, congrats, <laughs> Connor, on the recent New York Times article. I excitedly showed my wife, who seemed to be happy that I was excited well thank you sean and thank you to your <laughs> wife 
Two quick questions. One, Lila playing dress up every time she sees Sam is amazing, particularly that 100% authentic Claremont bondage moment in New Mutants Annual 1. When I saw him in a Lila t-shirt in subsequent appearances, they felt like my new OTP. So I'm wondering, is there a real life couple you can think of that's somewhat analogous to Sam and Lila? I'm not saying she's out of his league. Sam's a great person and Lila tried to steal a planet, but they're just, you know, a surprising match. And second, does Sauron listen to the band Nazgul? If so, what's his favorite song? Keep the great work, Sean Hansen, Democratize Life on Twitter. I do not listen to the band Nazgul, so I can't tell you what Sauron's favorite Nazgul song would be, but I bet he does listen to Nazgul because he loves it. I mean, listen, I bet that Sauron is posted up right now watching Rings of Power on Amazon Prime and is loving it. Oh, yes. And as the actually, I don't know, he's such a lore nerd that he might object to like some of the liberties taken. We'd have to ask Sauron, but I feel like I feel like he would be very he would be very pretentious about it, but he would still secretly want to watch it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's uh, he appreciates innovation. He's a scientist. He's not mm-hmm. going to be like a, a two. Anyway, back to the to the real world Sam and Lila question. That's an interesting idea. I think that it's unusual particularly for female celebrities to have civilian boyfriends. Like you don't see that very much. The closest I can think of is like Julia Roberts and her husband, the cameraman, right? Like there are a couple situations like that, but even there, like she met him at work, right? It's Mm -hmm. not like... I mean, I guess like Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, Lawrence, technically, I think Lila also met Sam at work. Well, right, but be, he was a but he was like a patron, not a you know not not a coworker. Yeah. So I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head, but I do think that that's part of what makes it fun is that it's Claremont twisting like the rock star and groupie dynamic on its mm-hmm. head and making it a little more wholesome, but in part because of the intrinsic like power dynamic differential of the groupie being like a six foot three man, like instead of, you know, an underage girl, right? Like it has that. It's a playful inversion on the trope. Exactly. Much like the Frank Rosetta style cover of New Mutants Annual Number One is a flip of that 70s and 80s style of like the warrior and the, you know, the maiden. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite thing about being in my 30s, to be honest, is that I no longer have to know who anyone is who is popular. Yeah, uh, it it's is, a little it bit liberating, lovely. right? It is. It really is. So I don't think I can really provide a good answer on that, but I do love the idea. Yeah, no, it's fun. And that is like a, a key part of the appeal of their relationship, I would say. Rev Tanner writes, Dear Connor and Uncanny Guest, love the podcast, especially bringing in all of the different voices and perspectives you have over the years years yes years wow each brings their own unique love and appreciation for characters that rock i should note this is the first recording after the second year anniversary of the podcast yes happy birthday it has been two years which is wild but on to the most rockin' teleporting intergalactic rock goddess slash thief of all time, Lila Cheney. Honestly, I've always liked Lila, and I adore the idea of her being older than Sam, which subverts the stereotype of decades of older male rock and roll stars fucking How younger female that? fans. That's what we were just talking about. Yeah. 
Here we have a woman getting hers. Is she the first comics cougar? Besides Celine, of course, but that's not established until later. My real question is, has Lila's music stayed in the same genre over the years, or does she change it up and experiment with subgenres or hybrid music? Is she a constant rock and roller like the Rolling Stones or Pat Benatar, or does she go into crazy soundscapes and change things up like a Radiohead or U2? I don't see her as a Dua Lipa or St. Vincent type, but more Liz Fair circa exiling Guyville. But I could be wrong. My wife tells me every day that I'm wrong about something. <laughs> Love the pod, and you need an agent in case Celine becomes a character on the animated show, because your voice is the only one I will accept flat scan fan for forever brev well thank you brev that's very sweet i think liz fair is actually a good example of the way that i don't think that the sound is really the same because mm -hmm. lila comes out of like a, a real like rock like hard rock kind of tradition but the way that liz fair like gradually went more pop i think is probably the direction lila goes in over the course of the 90s but I see her more as like a Pat Benatar or Joan Jett type who sticks to that sound. Yeah, I think that it's probably, it probably keeps to that set, that Joan Jett, Pat Benatar, a little bit of the Susie and the Banshees. Uh, but as it's, it softens over the years because they also fem her up over the years too. Right, so like it trans, it goes from like, dazzle Susie and the Banshees to kiss them for me, Susie and the Banshees. You know yes, what I mean? Like I do. Yeah. So that uh, is, and, is where I would say it goes. Yeah. In the 90s, I would kind of put it as like um like we just said a minute ago, like a PJ Harvey or um or I said Melissa Etheridge, like that kind of pop rock. Cause like PJ even like Shirley maybe, Manson even. Shirley Manson garbage. Yeah, that's a yeah. great comp for the 90s Lila. I mean, certainly if she's playing Central Park at like a very mainstream summer stage kind of concert in Executioner's Song, she's at least crossed over to the pop charts, you know, in the way that PJ Harvey did with To Bring You My Love. That's my like, album. I love that one, too. I can never like quite decide. It depends on the day. If you ask me if like rid of me or to bring my love is like the one. And it really depends on whether I'm like angry or sad, I guess. Mm. As for other people that she might tour with or play with, you know, we don't see a lot of that in the 616, but we, they do play around with it a little bit in X-Men 92 when they do Lila Palooza. Mm, uh, yeah. You see her playing with the Flaming Lips uh, and the Toadies. They even have like a little clip of Possum Kingdom on there. So I think that also sticks to that continuum of like rock that is pop accessible. Yeah, and she's the kind of artist who like, I mean, Pitchfork now does more pop reviews, but like she would have been the kind of artist that's reviewed on Pitchfork, not in like People magazine is my guess, right. you know, but now they both kind of do both. But it, you get what I'm if you're also in your mid to late 30s, you'll get what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> you'll have understood some of the references that we have just made. Today. Yeah. Mike V writes, Dear Connor and Margo, first of all, Connor, I want to say thanks to you and all your incredible guests. This podcast has been a constant source of both entertainment and insight throughout the pandemic. As a flat scan X fan, while the metaphors and subtext are certainly apparent, listening to you and your guests connect this franchise to areas of personal experience and expertise outside my own has enriched my appreciation for and at times critiques of my favorite comics. In addition, for those of us who simply do not want to spend time reading through the franchise's lesser years, your summaries have provided an invaluable public service in helping to clarify any necessary reference points for the modern era while dwying the rest. But you're welcome for that. As always, I do want to shout out the resources I use to help me through some of those darker moments. UncannyXMen.net is the biggest one. Their issue summaries are incredible. So if you ever want something more in depth than what I'm going through in my summaries, 
they can tell you exactly what happened in any issue and you don't have to read the issue. You also could, but like, you know, if it's the 500th Sabretooth miniseries of the 90s, you don't have to. And God bless them for that. I was thrilled to hear that you were doing an episode on one of my favorite recurring X characters, Lila Cheney. As a character who largely lives her life off panel, but retains much of her cool factor through limited on-page exposure, she's perfect for brief stories in which she can compliment or clash with others like she did in her early stories with Sam. It might not make sense to focus on her too much as a regular member of any X team, but I'm curious about which characters, particularly those who received greater focus in the Cohen era, you'd like to see her team up with. Personally, I think it'd be fun to pair her with Vidaiola's Lost Club, perhaps when their inevitable teenage band accidentally causes some intergalactic incident. In any case, they definitely come across as the kind of kids who'd have very strong opinions about old music and would absolutely think Lila is cooler than Dazzler. Given Lila's historical function as a counterbalance for other characters, I'm also curious if you think there's a way to expand her interiority without over-explaining her in a way that may dull her mystique. I enjoyed her one-off story in X-Men Unlimited, and I think a short arc in that series showing her on tour could be a lot of fun, but frankly, I'll take what I can get. Can't wait to hear the episode. As always, make mine Cerebro, and never forget, Narvel Real. Sincerely, Mike V, Prop Comedy on the Discord. Well, thank you, Mike. That was all very sweet. I like that idea of like the kids. Yeah, absolutely. The hipster I'm- kids being like into Lila music is like a fun idea. As we said earlier, I'd love to see her in Sunspot, maybe team up up on Araco. Exterminators. I'm so looking forward to that book. I'm, yeah. I'm also and- so psyched about the Boom Boom episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, because I would like to see her and Boom Boom do more stuff together. You know, I think they have just a really fun dynamic. You know, if she's just, I think you can't expand the interiority of her character. You just don't focus on her origin. You can have it influence her, but you just move forward with the future. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the biggest thing is I never want to get the origin story. The worst thing you could do with this character is give away her secrets. Yeah, a year one, Lila Cheney is a horrible idea. However, doing a Lila Cheney story set in the Krakoan age and when she's gone through all this stuff and that influences her and seeing where she wants to take it, I think would be, I think it'd be really fascinating. You could give a story that you don't typically have inside mm-hmm. the Marvel universe, you know, give us a, give us a fucky velvet gold mine, doctor who heisty thing. You know, there's so many, give us options on, on that. Um, but just don't go back and retread her history because she does have a lot of, heavily suggested trauma some of it is it's very textual but some of it is heavily suggested uh, and i don't think there's necessarily a need to revisit that in that kind of manner but i think well, it's like with Ilyana. i don't think we need to like get into the nitty-gritty of what she was subjected to as a slave like mm-hmm. i don't think we need to dig into that too much and more importantly for lila she wouldn't want us to see that no And so I don't think we should. You know what I mean? I completely agree. I think the thing to do if you want to give her more to play with is let her be a part of the story and let her actions drive parts of the story because she usually is a reactive character. Mm Mm-hmm. David Welsh writes, hello, Connor, an esteemed guest. I'm a big fan of all the supporting Claremont dames that seem to fall out of his brain fully formed. Amanda Sefton, Lee Forrester, Stevie Hunter, and so many others, including Lila Cheney. That said, I can see why Lila's never really become a regular. Super long-range teleportation is really interesting, but doesn't seem like it has the day-to-day usefulness of the kind of teleportation magic, blink, or nightcrawler display. It's interesting to me, though, that Lila hasn't ever really appeared much outside of the X-Books, when there are a bunch of Marvel characters who would find it really useful to have the assistance of a 
teleporter like Lila, the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, when they have to meddle in intergalactic affairs. And I'm guessing Valeria is a fan because she's the cool one in the family. The Guardians, when they need to get across the galaxy in a hurry. My question is, how has Lila, an intergalactically famous rock star and thief, managed to stay off the radar of these busybodies who would undoubtedly try and co-opt her abilities for their own purposes? Is she just really good at staying under the radar? Best David Welsh. Part of it is just that, again, outside of Chris Claremont, not that many people seem excited to use this character, which is a shame because the Captain Marvel story is a great example of, yeah, she fits very seamlessly into other books, yeah, especially Marvel Cosmic there. stuff. Yeah, uh, and as far as why don't we see Lila interacting with more Marvel heroes or part of the Avengers teams of the Fantastic Four, she has no interest in that. Yeah, she's busy. The moment, yeah, the moment that that's a thought <laughs> on her brain, she is out of there. She is giving you the wrong number. She is telling you to go to our old house in Malibu that she doesn't even own anymore. As uh, for which Fantastic Four family member loves Lila Cheney, didn't mm -hmm. Franklin canonically become a Lila Cheney fan yeah, while that, exploring uh, Dazzler, Lila Mix? His mutant identity. So yeah. hopefully that will get fixed in some way and he'll be back at the concert. And if if not, if he's never a mutant again. Even so, I hope he, he gets to see- can still be back at the concert. Like, yeah, why not, you know? Jonathan Stolalerma writes, hello, esteemed host and guest. So happy we finally arrived at Ms. Lila Cheney. The story arc when the X-Men go to space to rescue Professor X from the Skrulls, Uncanny 275, was the first full story arc of X-Men that I read. Lila Cheney plays a small part in this arc, but every time she's on page, she just gives off such joy and fun. Over the years, every time she appears, she always brightens the story a bit. I enjoyed the recent Infinity comic about her in a dating show and would love to see more one-offs in that vein for this character. My question, in the first arc that I read, she seems to have some type of relationship with Deathbird, but I don't recall where this started or if it's ever followed up on in later stories. So what's up with that? I originally read this as if they were Claremont gal pals. Any thoughts? Thank you so much for what you do, Jonathan. So I would be all for Deathbird and mm -hmm. Lila being Claremont mm -hmm. gal pals. She had to know who Lila Cheney was in right. order to do that. So she yes. is on the radar of Deathbird. And I would be so, so into a Deathbird Lila Cheney. Because that is, again, like, she is bossing Lila around the whole time. You never see anyone boss Lila Cheney around. But Deathbird does. And she does it well. I would really enjoy, like, if it turned out that Deathbird was a huge fan of Lila Cheney's music after, like, coming to earth to fight carol danvers in 70s ms marvel and oh, so immediately immediately knew who lila cheney was uh you just go into her room and like the there's posters like, everywhere chandelier. yeah there's posters yeah exactly everywhere. uh she is just immersed in it so i think that that would be a fun pair um but that's basically it you know xavier put a kind of like a small psychic push couldn't do anything overt otherwise it would give them away but a small psychic push to death bird to find Lila Cheney and bring the X-Men to space to rescue him. Mm-hmm. Thomas Corbin writes, hello, Connor and illustrious guest. First, congratulations, Connor, on the continued success of the podcast and the amazing New York Times feature. Well, thank you, Thomas. We finally got into the premier interstellar rock star, sometimes totally justified planet thief, Lila Cheney. And as a stan, I only have one pressing question. If the Mojoverse created a behind the music episode focused on Lila, which musicians from history would be featured to sing her praises or reveal secrets about working with her? Did Lila and Susie Sue have a collab that fell apart? Or did she take offense to something Morrissey said once and strand him in Shi'ar space? Keep up the Good work and as always make mine cerebro thomas glitter hole in the server i have no greater suggestion than the idea of lila cheney leaving morrissey stranded in outer space and so 
I'm like hard pressed to come up with something better than that. What do you think, Margot? Uh, I definitely can't come up with anything better than that. However, I do think that Lila scares the shit out of David Bowie. Mm. And I feel like because there is life on Mars and she knows about it. She knows all about it. And she's just (laughs) a very curt, intense, sexually powerful woman. And I just feel that, uh, you know, most people probably love her, but she doesn't get close to a lot of people either. So I think a lot of those would also be very superficial kind of relationships. I feel like much like PJ Harvey in the 90s, she would have had like a moment of collaboration with Bjork. Mm, yes, I would love, to, I want to see more of that type of stuff. Like show me panels of Bjork and Lila Chang like hanging out in an anti-grab room, just trying to figure out how Mysterium sounds. I mean, like Bjork just dropped her new single today from Fosora, the upcoming album that's like an album about grief themed around mushrooms and fungus. And uh, it was a very intergalactic kind of music video, I'll just say. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if... Bjork was also traveling the universe in Earth 616 and knew Lila Cheney very well. And I, I for one, that, would yeah. like to buy that album. So I would buy it in a heartbeat. I would stream it. I would, oh, yeah. I, I would be very <laughs> much into that. Also, just like seeing her collaborate with some of the more, like, I would like to see Lila Cheney and Sophie. I'd like to see Lila Cheney and Radiohead. You know, I want to see them explore all sorts of different sounds. Um, yeah, but you absolutely. know, that's not something that we're going to really get a lot of. I think it would be really cool to have seen things like that. I also think yeah. like, you know, when Beyonce and the Dixie Chicks linked up, like something where she goes really outside of her genre would be fun. Yes, let's see that. Let's see um, Lila do a country album. We know we know that Lila can play like old classical country. We see uh, her do it when she's hanging out with Sam and Anna. Rose right. Or yeah, Lady. right. Or I would even say, like, with a Beyonce type, do something where she's working with, like, more of an R&B vocalist could be really cool. Or, like, yeah, what like, does what does Lila's house album sound like? I bet it's crazy. That would be crazy. That's something she and Dazzler should do together, actually. That would be fun. Or going back to the bling of it all, like, get her parents involved. Yeah, sure. Why not? Featuring those characters <laughs> when I, I don't want to say their names again because it always feels like a hate crime so I just try not uh, to say those stage names it was a very it's a different time uh-huh. Sam aka Dark Sheik professional wrestler who people may know friend of the pod writes dear Connor and Margot, I love the show I love how it's blowing up I'll get right to it does Lila and sometimes Dazzler represent the fourth path for mutantdom separate from Emma Charles and Eric they use their powers to put on kick-ass shows and be intergalactic celebrities, and Lila more or less avoids mutant drama. She seems much more content than most people were pre-Krakoa, and outside of Resurrection, I'm not sure what Krakoa really has to offer her. Also, if there would be a real-life concert tour of Lila and Dazzler, who do you cast, and who else is on the bill? I apologize for shoehorning Dazzler into my questions. Thanks for all you put into this. Be well. Sam, the Dark Sheik. So we I'm were just talking about see Dazzler shoehorned in anywhere. <laughs> so we we're just talking about collaborators. And, and I think that that's a similar question in terms of like who I would cast as them of people who actually exist. Go back to the Dazzler episode where we suggested like 50 different people who could do that for mm-hmm. Lila Cheney. I think that it is important that she's British. Yeah. And that's harder for me because it's harder for me because I'm not yeah. and I'm not that up on like contemporary British artists. 
but I feel like there's got to be someone who, I mean, like the British artists I know are like not rockers is the thing. Like, you know, uh-huh. like I love Shy Girl and Shy Girl and Lila Cheney would do a great collab of some kind, but she wouldn't play Lila Cheney. I would definitely want it to be someone who comes out of that like British punk scene. And I feel like there are probably people I'm just not thinking of who would be great for right. that. In terms of the political approach, yeah, I think that what Lila and Dazzler do is similar to what Emma does, but is different. It's a navigation of like the human capitalist landscape to try and advance mutant interests. But it's more specifically like there's a lot of debates about like Jay-Z was just in hot water a little bit for like comments about capitalism and what like the idea of minority capitalism and celebrities from marginalized communities becoming very wealthy is like something that there's a lot of back and forth about the famous mutants like Dazzler and Lila are people who could be used to tackle that topic in the story, particularly if they're on like an X Corp label that Monet is running with, you know, Sophia's help and and whatever. So I think that that would be an interesting avenue for story. Like, what does it mean to be the 1% and a mutant, you know? Yeah. And also famously, Lila never came out. Right. Like it's there was never a particular coming out issue as a mutant for her. And like Allison Dazzler, she came out and her career was and it went real bad. Right. When she came into working with Lila, that's when she disguised herself under an alias was like, I'll be your session musician. Yeah. So like even when Dazzler's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're a mutant, too. It was Lila just saying, oh, it looks like we're you know coming out of the woodwork. But I tend to. I tend to assume that by the time of Executioner's song, she is known generally to be a mutant because that concert is like the big mutant rights charity concert. But I think that she's like Joan Jett, who has never said, as far as I can remember, that she's gay. Right. And Joan Jett just got photographed making out with Carmen Electra everywhere. And people love that. Put it together, you know, Mm. But they never sure did. did an interview about it. Right. Or think Elvira, that- uh, you know, who also famously was in a or is in a long term relationship and has been for so long. Um, yeah. But I think that Elvira sort of kept that to herself. I mm-hmm. think that with Joan Jett, like she, she's not hiding it at all. Yeah, she's she just, just not talking. About but it. there was never a like People magazine. I'm gay cover, you know, like she doesn't do that. And I think that similarly, Lila Cheney has probably never done an I'm a mutant interview, but everybody has figured out that she's a mutant. And she probably did like a Jodie Foster or Queen Latifah kind of like acknowledgement of it in a speech without actually saying the word at some point. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the interesting things about Lila also is that she has kind of a glass closet thing going on. And that is important. It's good to, to mention that as well. She's like better known as like a space traveler than she is as a mutant, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, now that she's on Krakoa and is like a Krakoan artist, people must know that she's a mutant. But- right. Like, I feel like especially after the Unity concert that was there in Central Park, it's pretty much an open secret from then on. And by the time mm-hmm. that she's established on Krakoa, there's no need to have that conversation. Exactly. I agree. Ramona Kelly writes, Dear Connor and illustrious guest, longtime listener, second time writer, chicanery on the Discord, you know the deal. Northern Irish accent, you can attempt it, but I don't advise it. (laughs) 
Ramona, I would never dare to attempt your accent because I know that you would be ruthless about my failure to do your accent. And Northern Irish is hard. So what's the deal with Cannonball being the starter boyfriend for obvious lesbians? (laughs) Rain was into him. Lila was into him. Izzy's into him. (laughs) What's going on there? Is it just the Simpsons non-threatening boys magazine thing? Is Sam secretly trans? Best wishes, Ramona Neve Kelly. P.S. I only write in for queer women. I mean, That's I agree. Right. I agree that Lila Cheney is definitely queer. Uh, I would say that with Sam, I do think that part of it. I mean, we identified this earlier. I think that part of it, the attraction for Lila is that he is non-threatening mm-hmm. uh, and is not a sexual aggressor in any way. And for Rain, that's certainly part of the appeal too, right? Like, there's no worry that Cannonball would ever get fresh with you, right? Because it's never going to go that far, right? With Lila, that is who is Lila is not a lesbian, though. She clearly is into men because mm-hmm. she's the one who's like sexually aggressive with Sam. Oh, that um, scene where she's biting his ear and still planet. <laughs> so I think that he appeals in a certain way, both to women who don't actually want to have sex with men and women who... I mean, Are... without getting too serious, like, again, Lila was sold into slavery. So I yes. think that she is not someone who ever wants a man to try and be like a dominant with her. Right. Absolutely. I, I think that's very important too, because like with Guido, he um, is also deferential to her. Yeah. He's deferential. He's a big sweetheart. Sam, he's a good boy. He's kind, he's well brought up. So he's not forceful. Uh, so when she is interested in men, it's, they're men who she feels safe with. She feels a security with. Yeah, so they're men who are not her. dangerous. Yeah. For right. her, like who don't feel like a sexual threat because mm-hmm. I think that she has probably had unpleasant experiences that mm-hmm. she is traumatized from. And that's part of the implication of her being like, I'm not going to talk about my past at all. You know? Right. Um, Why is she so horrified in the Gossamer arc in the first place? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think that's sort of the logic behind it. And I don't think Sam's trans. There, there is that really funny moment uh, <laughs> when it's in Extreme X-Men when Rogue crashes the X-Corp party. And so Sam brings in his mutants that he has on retainer. And one of them flips Sam through all the various possibilities of who he could be. And the mm-hmm. one that looks the most confused and uncomfortable is what Sam Guthrie would be like as a woman. Yes. No, I think Sam is is pretty secure in his gender identity. Um, but that actually leads into the next question, which is definitely a question more for you than for me. Uh, Gary from Dublin writes, Hi, Connor and Steve Margot. Gary here from Twitter in the Discord. Insert the Irish accent here. I'm going to, again, take a, a powder on the Irish accents because I'm not very good at them. I'll keep this short. I never was a huge Lila fan as I didn't like the way Louise Simonson wrote her when I was a kid for some reason, but I've since read the Claremont and Fabian Nicieza stuff and gained a new appreciation for her. It was hard for her to get a regular place in the X line with so many similarities to the higher profile Dazzler, who often doesn't have a home of her own either. But I thought of Lila recently when I read a discussion on the need for some prominent non-villainous X-Men characters to be revealed potentially as trans. Lila came straight to my mind. I might be reading something into it, but 
but the hidden trauma of how she apparently lost contact with her birth family after being sold into slavery, her original gender fuck punk aesthetic, and the effort she made to be accepted by Ma Guthrie in a more traditional female presentation feels very queer to me. Lila had so many barriers and walls that when first introduced, but her relationships with Guido and Ma Guthrie, independent of Sam, feel very queer found family to me. What do you think of this interpretation? In my mind now, I think of the astounding Jesse James Keitel as a dream casting. Lots of love to you both, mm. Gary. Well, I love the idea of Jesse James Keitel as yeah. Lila Cheney. I don't have like strong opinions on this either way because I just try not to have strong opinions on like headcanons like this because it's not my experience. But it's like it's also very not personal stuff. Yeah. And it's, no, but it's I'm... also like Gary is also a cis gay guy. So I, I imagine that he's writing in wondering if like you have any thoughts on that. So it's one that I have seen. Uh, pop- First of all, the biggest one is just that if that is something that connects with you, it's good. Go with it. Sure. Um, yeah. And I think that there's so much at play with gender and sexuality when it comes to Lila Cheney uh, that it's one that I could see because uh, there are all sorts of options for it on the table. But another thing, and I think that this is just crucial to her character, what Lila have trouble with? What does Lila hate? Labels. Yes. So it's one of those things where like, if she is like, say, Let's just say that she, when we meet her, she is a post-transition binary trans woman. We would never find out. No. Like, because it's not something she'd ever talk about and we're not going to meet her family. So. No, though, I think that's a really good call out that I didn't necessarily think about at first uh, with regards to her character because she never interacts with them again. We see it two times, one in the Captain Marvel story and then once in narration in that pre-AOA X-Factor story. But that's it. Otherwise, we have no connection to her past or to her life before New Mutants Annual number one. Right. Uh, so I think it's a very. It's a headcanon that's doable. Let's yeah, say if it's something that people wanted to do. And I think that it's definitely an interesting idea. And uh, I'm glad that you brought it up because it's it's a neat thing to think about. And it certainly would be very punk. It would be like I have my trans head cannons and they are like Fantasia. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, probably mask. Uh, mask know, is a tricky one. Yeah, yeah it's a real tricky, tricky situation there. But I think it's it's definitely a doable head cannon. And it's one that I see a lot of worth in, um, mm-hmm. but was never particularly my read. No, that makes sense to me. Margot writes, hi there, Connor and Margot. My name is also Margot, so I had to write in. Here's my question. Why do you hi, think Margo. Lila Cheney? <laughs> Here's my question. Why do you think Lila Cheney never quite made it, so to speak? Is she just too much of a Claremont character? I think she's great and deserves the big time. Give this girl a miniseries, at least. She should be the mutant Felicia Hardy. What do you think would be the best way to make her as popular as she richly deserves to be? Love the podcast. Love the X-Men. Thanks to the podcast. Make mine Zala gang. Margot. I think that, quite honestly, the way you make this character pop is you do like a Dazzler show on Disney Plus and you make mm-hmm. Lila Cheney a big part of it. Like that. Right. That's it. You know, that's how that's you do it. it. Because that's the medium in which she is going to be the best. Like when you can I think do a musical thing with her. The second they have the mutants integrated into the MCU, if they don't do like a musical comedy Dazzler show, it will be leaving money on the table. It, so yes. I think that's where Lila comes in. And I think you could contrast her if Dazzler's the protagonist is like a little hapless, you know, if Dazzler's are Carrie Bradshaw, say, then Lila could be Samantha. And like those characters are always more fun. Um, 
so I think that would be a way as for why, like she never quite hit in the comics. I do think that she was a Chris Claremont pet character that not a lot mm-hmm. of other people wanted to use, but also Marvel cosmic has just been really touch and go always. Yeah. And, and I love space and space operas, but it's yeah, just never been accessible to me outside of like the Starlin era in the nineties with like infinity war, infinity gauntlet, that stuff. And then like the Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning revival of Guardians and all of that stuff that happened later, the Marvel Cosmic stuff was just never super well organized. Al Ewing is doing a lot of incredible work now and Lila is mm-hmm. in Ewing stuff now. So that would be a, a way to, to bring her back in. But I think that it's for the same reason that most of the Marvel Cosmic characters have never hit that big because for the most part, the Marvel Universe is centered on New York City. Right. And I mean, Lila gets there too, but it, she's just never had a shot. But she's there for a concert. Of, yeah. She doesn't hang yeah. out. Like it's also that she never stays in one place for very long. Mm-hmm. She's always running away and she does, she either runs away or she dips out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's never really had a shepherd as true as Claremont. Like Claremont loves her. Mo- loves like I would this say character. Yeah. Half of her appearances, if not more, are by Chris Claremont. Right. Um, so otherwise, she is just a great guest star. People don't really have a big arc for her. And in a mm-hmm. lot of ways, I'm kind of thankful that she hasn't had that breakout yet because that's not defined yet. Right. And part of it is that the more a mysterious character like Lila appears, the more there will be a temptation to fill in her backstory. And part of why she works is that we haven't. Like the temptation to river song her. Mm-hmm. is bigger every time she comes back. And I do not want them to give us, again, like a year one Lila Cheney would be would make me miserable because it would I be don't so bad. want to know. I do not want to know. What might be more fun is if Joker style, she like gives a couple different characters versions of her backstory that contradict one another. Like would that would be- still be incredibly on point for her. Yeah, it's exactly the kind is. of shit she does. You I know, mean, she... that, we don't need a who, uh, what happened to Brian Slade moment, right? Like, Right, exactly. It's also like, is Lila Cheney even her real name or is that mm-hmm. a stage name like David Bowie or Elton John or any number of other stage names that are not the person's birth name? So is that even a real accent? You know, does is she, she ha- even really British? Like, yes. right, there's so many, there are so many directions you could take this character. And I think that not answering too many questions has been part of her enduring appeal. And so it's good that she's never been like a regular cast member in a book. On the other hand, It's brief, but the AOA version of her shows how she could work on a team. And Mm -hmm. so I think that it's definitely possible, especially now that the X-Men have expanded into space so dramatically, to have her be a regular cast member in a book. I just think that you'd need to have an idea for like what to do with her without- you would need a very specific story. Yeah. Something different. Something that's new and different and looks to the future instead of answering too many questions about her past, because I think that would be a mistake. Right. Last question, Krakoa Welcomes asks, what would be the first things on your pull list if you could teleport to any world in the history of speculative fiction and commit thievery? Ooh. Well, I realized the moment I listened to that question, the first thing I went to actually was nothing in reality. I just went to space operas and Well, they they, they said speculative fiction. Yeah, like worlds that you could travel Uh, to and steal things. I would 
absolutely want to steal the baseball off Cisco's desk from DS9. <laughs> I, I was thinking like, I want a, a replicator, like a Starfleet replicator. Yes, I need something to make my life really convenient and easy. Uh, maybe like a shuttle, a small shuttle. Uh, I I don't know. I don't have a lot of trophy. Well, like I'm not like a really like a like a trinket or trophy person. So mm-hmm. Lila loves a shiny thing. She loves to collect stuff. Yeah, I feel like it would be fun. Like Star Wars always has like weird jewelry and stuff that mm-hmm. you could like steal. That would probably be like what I would go after. Is like I would go through these different catalogs of sci-fi and fantasy and just get some really nice wear, some jewelry. Some like go nice to Naboo fabric. and raid Natalie Portman's closet. You know oh, what I mean? Like that would be fun. Time. Yes. Yeah. But do I need a lightsaber? That. Absolutely not. I no, I don't want to fuck with that. I don't even no. like, I don't like holding a knife, much less a lightsaber. <laughs> my God. I'd take a limb off in seconds. I'd be like, oh no, my arm. Like it would it not would just be, be trouble. Yeah. Um, but be- that's what Lila Cheney is. She is trouble and it's never looked so good. Absolutely. Well, Margot, thank you so much for being my guest. Is there anything else you'd like to say about Lila Cheney before we wrap up? You know, just that she is the baddest bitch. I love her. <laughs> and uh, I want to thank you for having me on. This has been such a lovely experience. Why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you online and plug anything that you want to plug? Sure. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter. That's at Pearl Snapped. That is at your discretion and warning because um, <laughs> I just there's titties there. sometimes, sometimes is my, titties. Yeah. yeah that's the uh, that's the fair warning sometimes there's uh, some boobs true uh, and then I also in my spare time I, when I have the time I like to make tabletop games I don't really have much out right now but you can go and play a prototype of a game we based off Nightmare at 20,000 feet, the famed Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, so you play a little horde of gremlins as you try to take down a 70s commercial liner. Oh Uh, my God. done by me and my friend Bones. Uh, And so that's available. If you want to go check that out, it's free. And That's a different kind of, uh, you know, Star Trek adjacent thievery. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. Because it was Shatner. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. Uh, and anyway, it's just been a lovely time. You can also find me on the Discord server. It's been also a, a real blessing to be able to just have these conversations and to have silly little detours. And time today. I'm also on the Star Trek channel in the Discord because we. Oh talked yeah, about I'm it not so even in that there. channel, but they all wouldn't shut up about Star Trek. So there's a little thread in we the pop rarely culture channel. Yeah, I, I was just like, we need to, no disrespect to Star Trek, but I simply can't onboard this much Star Trek chat <laughs> at all times of the day. You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at Dream of Organon or on Instagram at Connor Gold. So you can find all of the episodes plus links to the Discord server, the merch store, and much, much more at CerebroCast.com. Questions are closed for next week's episode with Sam Guido on Kailan and the following week's episode on Quicksilver with Luke Ruddick, but they are open for episodes 88 through 91, which will feature Leah Williams on Boom Boom, Spencer Ackerman on the Fenris Twins, Caden Klin on Manifold and Gateway, and Khaldun Khalil on Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. You can send your questions about all four of those characters. Well, actually, it's all four episodes, but it's six characters <laughs> to cerebrocast at gmail.com. I'm really excited about all four of those episodes. Got a lot of fun things lined up through the end of this season, which will round us out at episode 100, which is absolutely crazy to think about. 
For $5 a month at the House of Zaladine tier at patreon.com slash broadcast, you can get an ad-free version of every episode as soon as they come out, plus exclusive access to the secret files, bonus episodes, including the weekly Cerebro Claremont Marathon, which is live again now after the brief hiatus in August. Thank you for your patience. Thank you, as always, for your support and for listening. And until next time, everybody, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is 